and welcome to a very special episode of the Pioneer Podcast, our first uh, patron-only bonus episode. I, we've got to maybe have a name for this, but I think that works. So if you're listening to this right now... Works for me. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're listening to this right now, you, you know who we are. You know, that's Ross, I'm Tannen, and uh, this episode's for you, and only you, right? Like, if you're, if you're a patron, it's the only way you can be listening to this episode, so pretty cool stuff. Uh, we're going to be doing this pretty semi-regularly. I don't know what the right phrase is. Maybe bi-monthly? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out, especially if like a ton of questions start coming in that we can just like fire off another show. But um, yeah, obviously I think we'll, that's basically how it will happen. Like we'll right. get, when we get enough questions that we think we can fill out a show with it, we'll do it. Yeah. And I mean, if like this only takes an hour, it only takes an hour, if it takes two hours, then it takes two hours. Yeah. Like we'll figure it out, right? That if way it starts we going, can blame them if it doesn't happen for a while. It's like, well, you didn't ask us any questions. Yeah. It's not our fault. Because here's the thing. Ross and I are probably going to answer some of these quickly, and then we'll take 10 minutes to answer another one. That's just going to be the way. We'll probably tangent. You know, we'll still talk about some of the stuff that we want to talk about as well, you know, that maybe doesn't necessarily pertain to, to Pioneer, but, like, that's stopped us ever before. But, no. yeah. Can't, st- can't stop me from talking. Yeah. This is not a thing. You? Dude, I, <laughs> I talk so much more. But anyway, um, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Uh, I was you say, you're in a, you were in a good mood when you got on the call today. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the good feeling that comes when you like you know you've done something with your day. Oftentimes, my Fridays are very unproductive because I've finished, I've got all my content done for the week. You know, my my article's done, my you know both verses episodes are done. I've got a couple days, but where I don't have to really do anything. Often, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna like take Friday pretty easy, and sometimes that leads to you know just kind of a glum day, right? Yeah. And, you know, today I, I got up and, you know, you know, got ready and I went out and I you know, uh, had a couple people, uh, me and another guy, assembling some uh, some bags of non-perishable food that we're going to give out at an event tomorrow in Roanoke uh, that's being run here. So uh, just, you know, you know, it's a, it's a small thing, you know, and it but it's the second time we've done it. And I felt like we were a lot more efficient in what we were doing. And, uh, you know, I have a better grasp of just the logistics of the process you know you know it it doesn't sound very complicated but you know we start with you know 50 paper bags and assorted cans uh, and boxes of different food items and it's okay how best do we put these into the bags and distribute them to people so that they get what they want and get what they need and you know as it turns out there's a lot of different variables in that process so you know we're we're getting better at it so you know i feel both accomplished and feel like I'm improving at something that I want to improve at. So you get the good brain drugs, like just inject that serotonin like right into my veins. Yeah, Let's I go. do have a beer next to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I actually was joking about that. I was like, man, I just had lunch, so maybe I should have a drink when doing this. But I still have a couple things for work to do after this. You know, this is the time that you could record, so I can kind of you know move my stuff around. But uh, I'm excited for this. It's our, it's our first try this episode. Um, there are magic related questions on this, so if you're a patron that's like, hey, I really like the magic stuff. There's there's some good. Some good magic-related stuff in here. If you like the non-magic-related stuff, you're going to have a lot of fun on this episode, I think. Um, you'll maybe get to learn a little bit about Ross and I. Maybe get to know us a little bit more. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but we'll find out. We'll find out together, y'all. So uh, you want to just go ahead and just get started? Since we yeah, don't let's the, do it. Yeah. So the first uh, couple questions comes from Brent Wagner, our editor. Right? And so um, he's got a multi-part question. So we can, I guess, answer this in parts. Or we'll just kind of answer it, right? His first question is... Who is the best person to travel with? Who makes the best plans? And who makes the worst travel plans? Uh, do you want me to go first here? Sure. All right. Because uh, one of the funny things is you're one of my favorite people to travel with. 
You're actually oh, just one of the you. best people to travel with. Because I'm going to mostly shy this towards magic, since it's where I've traveled. The, it's because yeah, I've traveled I, the I most in my life. Yeah, that's the idea. Um, I really enjoyed traveling with, like, you and Jim Davis a lot. Because we're all adults. Um, things were taken care of. I never had to be like, hey, did anyone, you know, book the hotel? That may have happened, like, once or twice. But, like, everyone did their job. Or if you gave someone a job, like, hey, you need to book the hotel or whatever, it got done. Right? Same thing with Rick with BCW. You know, he was with us a lot and took care of that a lot for us. Um, everyone was on time. If they weren't going to be on time to something, they told you ahead of time. Like, you were always told, like, six hours ahead. Hey, I'm delayed. Like, I'm going to be late. You know, blah, blah, blah. So we weren't surprised. Like, hey, where's Ross? And he's like, oh, I haven't taken off yet. Like, we could have known that six hours ago. You know, stuff like that. Um, who makes the best plans? Definitely Ross. Um, it, I think it comes out of a need for you have to make better plans than most people because of your dietary restrictions. So you, like, always had, like, one of the things I used to really hate is, you know, Magic players are really quick to pop off on you like, hey, you made a mistake here in this game or tell you their opinion on something. But as soon as a tournament's over and it's like, hey, where are we going to eat? No one has an opinion. Everyone's like, where do you want to go? You know, I'm good with anything. I'm yeah, like, I need... It's, a, it's especially annoying on Saturday night when you're like, yeah. I want to get done and get back to the hotel and get mm -hmm. some sleep for Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to you gotta get ready for that classic you're playing in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah so. I mean, I, I've started basically saying I never want to go out on Saturday night in groups of more than <laughs> four, sometimes up to six, but it, not it, more than that. It's okay if you're meeting somewhere for that, like if you're going to have a beer. Like if it's, it's a bunch of people then, that's fine. But like dinner-wise, no. I don't yeah. like the huge dinner parties. No, yeah. it's, it's a logistical you, thing. You can have huge dinner Sunday. That's fine. You, you got plenty. If you're staying over, you got plenty of time. That can be fun. You got everybody together. But Saturday, you got you got to be in and out. And yeah, I, I do put in effort to, I mean, I, I did that before I was vegetarian, to be honest, because the food, you know, eating delicious food is one of my favorite parts of traveling. It's the so, best part. Yeah, that's just, you know, just something I do. And I also like take a lot of time to try to get the right hotel. Like, I don't know if people mm -hmm. know this, but you know, when you look at the, the blind deals on like Priceline, uh, you know, you can you figure can, it out. Yeah, you can just figure it out. Like they give you, they give you what amenities there are, the star level of the hotel, approximately the what, distance. what region it's in, yeah. and you can you know you can do the regular search by those same regions. Mm -hmm. So you just you just cross match all that data. And I think I've been wrong once in like you know five five six years of doing this. Um, and when I was wrong, like we got a comparable hotel. Yeah, so like the I, same like it thing. Didn't really, yeah. didn't really bite me in any way. Um, I was always ex especially excited whenever we got to a double tree because those cookies are just the goddamn's like they're just the best cookies in the world. I don't care what anyone says. I'll <laughs> fight you. <laughs> like they're some of the well, like they're a top ten cookie for sure. Top five. How, how do they compare to insomnia cookies though? I actually like the uh, the the hotel cookies better. I so the 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 key with the double tree cookies is that they give them to you warm. Yeah, it's like. So they, they come out of a drawer behind the desk, and that drawer just, like, has to have, like, a heater in it or something. It's yeah. got to be a fire hazard. It's got to be a fucking fire hazard. There's no way it's not. Well, I don't know. I've, I've never had a fire there, so yeah. I'm good. And the cookies and are always great. The, the other key is, like, I you know, both times you're getting cookies from these places, it's pretty nice. Like, the, the 1 a.m. cookie from Insomnia, it's a good time to have a cookie. Mm -hmm. uh, but the 6 p.m., I just got done flying or driving for many hours to get to this location, and you give me a cookie. I, it's there's something magical about it. Oh yeah, it's also exactly how I like cookies. Like my favorite kind of cookie, you know, I'm, a, I'm an almond joy guy. Like uh, I like like the cookie with chocolate in it, but I like some form of like you know almond walnut something in there with like some Another crunch. textural element. Yeah, and I, I like that taste, but I don't like the cookie being rough. 
Yeah, you know I mean? they get the basic texture of the cookie down really, really good. It's crisp on the outside, but soft in the middle. It's 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 just chewy enough. Yeah, it's like, you with know, a little bit of chew. Yeah, yeah. no, it it really is like hard cookies pass. Who who wants those? And then They're some cookies wrong. are just soft all around, and you don't get you got to get that crisp outside, but not too much of like a that. crust that it gets too crunchy. Yeah, if you want something like that, just go get some beef jerky or some shit. Like, why are you why are you eating cookies when you want to like chew, like chewable? I don't understand, but. Kind of backing up, like, you know, when you're doing the 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 dinner plans thing, I can't tell you how many times I've uttered the phrase, I need you to have an opinion. You know, I'm like, I, I need you, I need something from you. Because if you, I don't want to be the one person to speak up, we're going here, and then people don't like it, and they like, they're like, oh, trying to pick the shitty restaurant or whatever. I'm like, no, don't don't leave this all on me. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm at the point where I don't care about that. I'll, I need I'll to just yeah. I'll just say, we're going here, and everyone will generally go along with it. Um and most of the time, people go and they really like it. There was one time when that did not happen. I, I got this big group of people at the Pro Tour in Milwaukee. And I was like, let's go to this German sausage house. I figured, like, who, magic players, like, they just get different sausages. Just meat on bread, you know, probably with cheese. Like, they're going to like this. And and they have good beer. And so, of course, I, and I, of course, wanted to do it because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of German immigrants in that region. At least that's a lot where a lot of them went. So, like, the German food in that region is going to be great. So I figured, you know, authentic German sausage house sounds sounds perfect. And so it, it was like a, like, six or eight blocks, you know, like, not a long walk, but a little bit of a walk. The thing was, that like, there wasn't really anything in the immediate vicinity of our hotel, but literally, like, the first restaurant this group saw was an Applebee's, like, three blocks away. And they're like, why don't we just go here? Like, nobody wanted to walk at all. Typical Magic players. I was like, no, let's go here. It's going to be great. We, we made two pretty big tables, and one table just, like, left before even ordering. They looked at it, and they went to a sports bar next door that looked awful. And I just, like, couldn't believe it. Um, but for the most part, you know, people like good food, so. Mm. Ross, what are your answers to the first part of the question? Who are the Who is the best person to travel with? Who makes the best plans? I'm trying to think of who the best team dads I've had for uh, testing teams. And I, I've told this story before, but the, the single best one is Gabe Carlton Barnes. I, I told this one this, on, a, yeah. on a recent episode. Uh, you know, just books everything, books it nicely, is always just on top of things. She's just, she's just a responsible guy. Um, I was on a team with Tom Martell once, and he booked, the, like, the the place. That was the best testing house we ever he had. He seems like a dad. He definitely was in like Dallas, and we were, like, outside in the suburbs, I think in Richardson, Texas. And it was a huge house, uh, you know, plenty of room for everybody. Really nice pool in the back with a cabana area by the pool. Uh, it, it was a sick house. Um, and just, you know, again, responsible, took care of everything. Um, so like that, you, you always want to have one team dad. And, and, you know, at this point, like, I'm, I'm good at booking hotel rooms. Booking stuff like Airbnbs for a big team, I wouldn't be as good at. Um, the Airbnb we had in, what was it, like, Indy or whatever? It was, like, in an apartment. It was, like... An old yeah, well that was through Priceline still. Yeah, so there was a, a company of you know vacation rental company that just owned blocks of rooms in two different apartment buildings, and they're a chain. There, I've tried to find them in so many other cities because it was so it was so good the first time in Indy. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but and I booked that one like pretty last minute too, and we got it, and it fit ever like slept everybody really well, and it was great, and it was like two blocks away from the site. The, granted, Indy is. One of the reasons Indy is a great location is because there's so many hotels near the site that it's right downtown. So, you know, there's just so much there. You never have to go very far. I love Indy. 
All right, so I wanted to see if, we, if you want to have fun with this. I have a feeling that we should answer the second part of this question at the same time to see if we're going to okay. name the same person. Yeah, we're, we're both going to say the same person. Okay. And it's not, not even close. Though, I will say, he, he could get off on a technicality here. Because he doesn't actually make the plans? Yeah, in order to be the person who makes the worst travel plans, you actually have to make them. But that's the part, is like, if he was ever allowed to make the plans and we didn't double check, that was the problem. So we're talking about Brendan DeCandio. Yes. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> if If... if if the other people we've talked about are the team dads, Brandon is the team child. Oh, 100% he, the team child. He is, uh, as the kids say, he is baby. Okay, I got I got a couple of good stories. Um, like, personal one. Um, so, for one of the Dallas Opens, Brennan flew into New Orleans and came and hung out with me instead, right? And so, he, he came in a couple days early. We, like, hung out, and then we drove up to Dallas, and then he drove home. And uh, I was like, hey, when is your flight home? And he's like, my flight is, I'm going to, like, just make the numbers up because it makes it easier. He's like, it's like 1 p.m. on Monday. Right. So I'm like, okay, so we probably need to get to the airport at like noon. He's like, that's only an hour. And I'm like, yeah, it's the New Orleans airport. I get through it in like seven minutes, even with a line. I'm like, I know exactly where to drop you off. You're going to have to like the, the security line might have 10 people in front of you. I, I fly in and out this, like, you know, all the time. This is my airport. So he's like, okay, or whatever. And we wake up Monday morning. All right, uh, maybe have some breakfast or whatever, and we leave. And I will say this, there was a little more traffic than I thought there would be, so we were like five or ten minutes behind. And Brennan starts getting like really nervous on the way there, right? He's like, dude, I'm going to miss my flight, I'm going to miss my flight. I'm like, why? We're still going to get there in plenty of time, like you're going to you know, do whatever, blah, blah, blah. So we get there with like 50 minutes to spare before his flight takes off, right? And he's like, man, I don't I don't think they're going to let me on the, on the plane. I'm like, dude, you're going to make it with like 20 minutes to spare, you know, or whatever. Like, you're still going to be sitting there waiting or whatever. So he's like, well, just don't go too far just in case. I'm like, fine. So I like, I, you know, pull over to this gas station, like start pumping my gas or blah, blah, blah. And I get a text from him. He's like, they won't let me on my flight. I'm like, dude, your flight doesn't leave for another like 20 or 25 minutes. He's like, no, they won't let me get my boarding pass. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, they won't let me check in. I'm like, you, you didn't check in. And he's like, no, you have to like check in like at the airport. And I'm like, dude, you, you, you check in online 24 hours before your flight. And he's like, I just don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean you don't do that? And like, because he had had this problem before and I didn't realize that's what it was. He refused to check in for his flights other than at the airport. So that's why he was so worried about me not getting him there ahead of time because he needed to actually physically check in. Yeah, and he knows that you have to check in, I think, 45 minutes beforehand. Yeah, most places are 45 minutes and he made it like at 44 or something. Like some places are an hour. And I'm like, dude, I have my boarding pass the day before like on my phone. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? And, like, I had to drill it into his head to do this. He does it now or whatever. But it was just, like, so ridiculous that he missed mul- he missed multiple flights over this, right? He had to, like, get another flight, you know, home and, like, pay for it and stuff. And, he's, and like, I was like, look, man, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't understand it. But I don't feel bad about this. Like, this is on you. I, I kind of like checking in at the airport, to be honest. I don't know I, why. You can still do it. Yeah. Like, um, but if but, I'm ever, like, running late, I mean, I, I check in on my on my phone all the time anyway, yeah. just because it's convenient. Yeah. Um, but for a while I would, and I always get to the airport super early anyway. Cause um, you're an old man, but yeah. yeah. And like to, in my mind, like a lot of people say they don't like sitting there waiting. And I'm just like, you're sitting in an air conditioned room with a bunch of food and drinks around you. If you want them, you just like and, that. It's a, it's, it's socially acceptable for you to drink at any point in time in an airport. So you can start drinking when you get there. Yeah. Well, I don't need the excuse, but sure. It's nice to have what have it. Uh, but you, you, and you have free Wi-Fi in most, you know, major airports. 
like wait for free Wi-Fi even in the Roanoke airport. Um, so like, what is the problem of sitting in an airport? Do you just not like crowds of people? Well, I mean, there's a mil there's infinite space. So I never really got that. But like, I know, I've known some people that like actively just try to cut it as close as possible uh, every time. So, uh, but uh, I just don't don't really get it. But yeah, just actually having it bite you and like be getting punished and still just refusing to do it is there's a, mind there's boggling. A, to me. There's a few other stories. I remember we were somewhere once and we were drinking a lot the night before and we're like, "Hey, like set an alarm. You have an early flight. You're gonna miss it." And he's like, "No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, my flight's at like 9 a.m. I'll get up at like 7 a.m. or whatever. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, my flight was at like." 10 or 11 a.m. and I remember waking up like at 9 a.m. and he's just passed out the thing I'm like I wake him up and I'm like what are you doing and he's like what I'm like your flight leaves at like 20 minutes and he's like oh shit and <laughs> I remember once he like the you know this is I think this is after some of these things so he's like you know willing to check in or whatever so he's like checking in on his flight and he's like I, I can't find my flight to check in and we're trying to figure it out figure it out and then he gets real quiet and I'm like Brennan <laughs> what, what did you do? Or you know, who gives you that like puppy dog face yeah, that like yeah. you just like pooped in the house and don't? Yeah, like, <laughs> he's like, I booked it for next month. <laughs> next month? Yeah. So if it was like June fifth, he he fixed it for like July fifth or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just the wrong month. I was like, oh, so you just you know had a little a, a nice little like thirty two day stay, you know, or whatever in in this in this place. I'm like, all right. So you had to like get another flight, just you know stuff like that, right? You know, I. I've made I've made a lot of those mistakes, but I've made them once. Yeah. And uh, God forbid, when he was trying to travel from Denver, when he was still teaming with us for a few events, and he's doing all these like overnight crazy flights and stuff. Because flying in and out of the Denver airport, I don't know what's up with it, but like I've never even attempted it. Uh, because like every one of my flights that involved Denver always has some crazy ass itinerary. I'm like, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe just because like we just don't fly there for some. I don't know. It's but, weird. It's one of the bigger airports. It's yeah, I just don't. In the, I've, in the US. I've been in it once. I've never like purposely gone through. I think once I had like a layover there when I was going to Vegas or L.A. or something, you know, or whatever. But I I just remember the time that you made me book Brennan's flight. Oh, that 100 happened. We we made sure like I I went to it was. It got to the point once where I, I like, looked over his work. You know, I'd be like, send me your flight info. He's like, hey, I'm about to book. I'm like, send me your flight info. Let me look at it before you, you, you know, click the buy button or whatever. You know, if he sends it to you right after he clicks, they have 24 hours to cancel. Yeah, so. but you get what I'm saying. Like, you know, I was like, hey, just send it to me before. That, that was actually the one we lost the finals of in Dallas. I booked the flight for Brennan for that tournament. And then. I didn't win any matches, but my contribution was in making sure Brennan got there. <laughs> making sure Brennan was there. he won a lot that weekend. Because what? He won a lot that weekend. Yeah, that was he... when he was playing the Demir deck. Yeah, that deck was unreal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really good. Yeah. I was about to say, I, 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 that, that's the weekend where I lost all my matches on camera, right? Like, I went yeah. four, I went like 15 and 3, but I was like 0 and 3 on camera or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it, that, that sucked. <laughs> and I think Brennan still might have had a better record than you. Yeah, like, you possible. two were just both unbeatable. Yeah, I think he only lost two matches the whole weekend or something like that. Yeah. So. Um, let me check the next question. Still from it, it was simultaneously the most fun and most frustrating tournament I've ever played. Oh, yeah. Because, like, it just didn't matter what I did most of the time. And if I won, it was like, okay, we can't lose. There's no way both of you lose. That happened in the finals, of course. Um, and then, uh, oh, no, I lost the finals. One, yeah, yeah, it was Brennan me was and you win. lost the finals, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, if, yeah, if I won, you know, there's no way. But I just, like, kept losing. And, then, you know, losing is just frustrating. Because I thought my deck was good, and I just, you know, I, I didn't think I was playing badly. 
I just kept losing. And so that, that part was frustrating, but then we just kept winning. And I was like, hee hee. Eventually, I just kind of like ro- rolled with it. It was like, yeah. It becomes a, it becomes a joke or a meme upon itself. At some oh point. yeah, you're like, dude, I'm I'm six and eight. I'm in the fucking finals. Let's go. You're like, don't, don't worry, I, I got Anna on a multi four in the top four. Yeah, yeah, we've told that five. story a few times. Um, that's that's a that's a that's a that's a good one. All right, um, this one I'm probably not gonna answer much because it's not really my thing. Though I may have a, a cool one or not. Uh, Brent also wants us to give us some karaoke tales. Did any of them stick out in your mind? I, I've been trying to think of some, and a couple come to mind. That one is the the woman that sang. Um, was it Iron Man? She sang some Black Sabbath song. It was, this was in Philly. Okay. Like that, the you know. I, so I think you were there. There's some woman who, who f- is frequently there when yes. we're there. I'm 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 thinking of this now. Now that you're saying she it, she does it's a like... Sabbath song. I think it was Iron Man, and she kills it. Mm-hmm. And like just like middle aged woman, you would not expect this at all. Yeah, you're just like what um, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then. Oh, there was the night in Roanoke where uh, karaoke got interrupted by a fire. That was fun. I, I had a, a friend of mine, uh, Dave, was in from out of town, and we were out that night at the karaoke bar. Um, and wait, no, this is was this when Dave was here? I think it was because I think of we were. I think it was the night Dave invited our bartender. We went out during happy hour. And had a couple drinks right when he got there. And Dave invited our bartender out with us to karaoke that night. And she came. Nice. And I think that was, this was that night. And like, you know, we were you know, just doing karaoke. She did, uh, uh, zombies. Is it zombie? The cranberry it's song? It's just zombie. Zombie, yeah, yeah. Singular. Um, and, uh, you know, just having a normal karaoke night. And then like, we just all got evacuated. You said it's had a kitchen fire, and you saw like the flames coming from the kitchen. You couldn't really exactly tell how big it was. You know, fire firemen came. You know, we got back in in like forty five minutes or so. So just a nice pause to the karaoke night because of a fire. Um, one sticks out in my mind that I can remember now that we're talking about it. I, I might have mentioned this on the show before or not. I'm not sure, but um, this is I think it was like 2013, right? And uh, I remember I'm like in Vegas or whatever, and. That summer, um, it was like Yoel Larson, Michael Bonday, Christopher Larson, and um, who's the Death and Taxes guy? Uh, I literally always forget his name. Anna Volson. Anna Volson. Those four guys uh, just like stayed in America for a month and a half, right? Played a bunch of events. They were all queued for the Invitational from the SCG or whatever, or played in the event. Um, we all like, you know, they we so we went to all the same events they did. So they just like stayed with us and stuff a ton. It was a lot of fun, right? And we're in New Jersey. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. We're in New Jersey because there's nothing redeeming about that state. But I remember that uh, we're, we go and we're doing karaoke one night. And it's like 10 or 11 of us. And it, was a, it was a really fun night. Like P- Patrick Sullivan was there. We were He uh, ran really bad the credit card game that night. For anyone who doesn't know what the credit card game is, is uh, it's very common among poker and magic players. Whenever we go out to eat um, at the end of the night, we will put one bill. And then we will take our four credit cards or five or six credit cards, whoever, whoever many people are there. And we will play the game in some way in which that it gets down to one credit card and that one pays the bill. There's variations of the game, but that's the easiest way to talk about it. So you win the game and you have to pay the bill. Um, and uh, Patrick either won or came very close to winning all of them. He's like always in the bottom three or whatever, you know, bottom two. Anyway, so we go to the bar and they're doing karaoke and some people sign up for it. And I remember Michael Bonday signs up for 
karaoke here, right? It's your typical bar. Like, everybody's kind of, like, meandering around. A bunch of people are at the bar or whatever. And the stage was all up in, like, the back of the room, right? Like, like all the way to the back wall. And so everybody's kind of meandering through the room. And I will remember this because he uh, he chose the song Mustang Sally. Is that the name of the actual song? Yeah. Right? He changed the song Mustang Sally. And so if anyone goes and listens to that song, it's you got to have some pipes to pull this one off, right? I didn't know that's what he chose. But I remember because... I'm standing at the bar with a few people, and he's, like, back to my left, right? I'm looking at the right side of the establishment, like, looking straight ahead at the bar, and he's in the he's in the, the back wall. So there's people behind me and everything. And it was like a scene out of the movie. He hits the very first, you know, little bit of the song, hits all these notes, and the room gets... There was a, everyone was talking. Like, everyone was talking, and the room just goes silent. And everyone does the slow turn. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Right? Um, he apparently competed on, uh, Danish Idol, what is, what would be like American Idol, but there, you know, where they're from and did very well. And the guy just is very talented, has some insane pipes and just blew us away. Right. Like people clapped when he was done at a bar karaoke when normally no one's paying attention. Yeah. Normally you got like the, you know, five people golf clapping. Yeah. 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 You can't hear, you can hear the clapping and like people were just like. Yeah, he got up there again and crushed it. I don't remember what the second song was, but I'll just never forget him, like, opening Mustang Sally, and you're just like, what? what? You know, like yeah. that. I bet, uh, I'm sure it's the, like, the first time I saw Matthias Hunt do karaoke uh Yes. And he did uh, Believe by Cher. Matthias Hunt is amazing. Yeah, Matthias Hunt is also a, a secret just yeah. goat. Yeah. All right. Next question, most underrated player. I'm assuming who's the most underrated Magic player. Uh, I should have thought about this more ahead of time. I've had names uh, in my head. Do you have one? I've been trying to think of one, and it's kind of hard. Like, most underrated? For a while, if you did just the SCG tour, for a while, but people finally caught up for it, is I would have had to say Harlan Fuhrer for a long time. Is He, he normally handicapped himself with his deck choice, but yeah, I've seen... I, I, I don't know if Harlan was ever underrated. I think he just leveled up. By the masses, I think he was underrated. Like, people I didn't realize how good he was rated. anyway. He just got, like, he just leveled up. Well, yeah, but I, I think he was always very good anyway. I've always thought he was better than me at all times. The guy who was underrated for a long time was Andrew Jessup, and then he started yeah. winning a lot. Well, he's so quiet and unassuming, right? Yeah. Like, But he's not underrated really anymore. Right. I mean, he won the Invitational, so, like, he'll have a card with his face on it forever. Which, by the way, best token from Invitational, period. Not close. No one will. I was actually joking about this the other day. I think I am actually, even though I don't play Magic anymore, and if they ever have the Invitational again, I think I am more motivated to win one right now than I've ever been in my life. My token would be a dog token. And then I would have a token with Benny being most of the token. It'd be like Benny in the foreground and me in the background or something. Or just something cool of me and Benny, you know? And I think that would be just fucking awesome if I could somehow get that. Which I think I might get, now that I'm saying it, I'm just going to get Inkling Customs to do one anyway. I'm actually going to commission her to, to do one. And because is, I'm, I'm assuming we can make dog tokens in this set. I, I don't know if we can. I know there's cat tokens, but anyway. Um, also, last question from Brent right here. Personal level up moment. Um, so I've, I've had more than one in my career, but I'm thinking of this very specific one. So back when probably like my most formative years of playing magic, and this is when I was, you know, returned to the game and started getting competitive. So we're looking at like the Mirrodin block into like Kamigawa block, like that era of magic. Right. And I'm starting to get competitive and I'm like hanging out with my friends that were all better than me. We're playing a ton and they were all really, really good. Like one of the players who played on like 15 or 20 pro tours did really well, blah, blah, blah. 
But I just remember specific games where I felt played. Like, do you get what I'm saying? You know, like, I just felt utterly played. Like, they make some play and, like, I'd respond to it or do something in, like, or they just, you know, called, you know, they just knew my hand or something, right? And I would have to ask them why afterwards. And I can't remember the exact situation, but I do remember, like, one of the players making and running this absurd bluff against me, right? Like, this is an absurd bluff. And they just got me to spew a card. I ended up losing a really close game. And then afterwards, like, we talked about it. And, like, everyone else was like, oh, that's awesome, or whatever. And I was just like, I remember right then I was like, I have a lot to learn. You know, like, it was a, it was a humbling moment for sure. It's like in poker when you realize you don't need the best hand to win. Like, the moment yeah. when you finally start to understand, you know. Um, I think I've had a few level-up moments in my career. But the one that stands out was my uh, first open win. Oh, I, 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 I can't identify. Sorry. <laughs> it was just over eight years ago, actually. It was, it was mid-June of 2012. and uh, it, was a, it, was a rainy, it was a rainy Sunday. And, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, actually, the weather was good that weekend. Of course. Anyway. So uh, I, I flew in. I booked a, a last-minute flight. because At this point, I wasn't flying a lot for tournaments. There were plenty going on, you know, around me. But this was an invitational. It would would have been my second envy. I queued for my first envy. It was season one that year, back when they ran four four a year, and it was in Baltimore. So I went to that one. You know, got my my first open top eight. Actually, was is that the yeah that was my first open top eight with Maverick and top top sixteen the the envy, uh, and that's sort of like what kickstarted my career on the SCG tour. Um. But so I decided last minute to, you know, book a flight to this NV. I got like a Priceline flight and it, I'm playing Delver in Standard. And I fretted about whether or not to play Maverick or not still in Legacy. And I ended up playing this like Sultai control deck that I thought was good uh, and could contend better against the Gristlebrand decks. Because Gristlebrand had just been printed and was real, like the Gristlebrand decks were good against Maverick for the most part. Um, as it turned out, I probably should have played Maverick, but it ended up not really mattering. And, because I, and I spent a lot of time fretting about Legacy for this tournament. But Standard, I'd been playing Delver for months. It's actually what I played at that first NV, you know, three months earlier. I would continue playing Delver for three months after it. And, you know, it was just a messed up deck. And I was like, yeah, I'm confident with my Delver deck. And I'm going to go, you know, figure out Legacy. And I O4'd the Standard portion. Because we started with Standard with Delver. Which meant I could not day two, even before I played a match of Legacy. And, you know, I'm kind of stunned after the fourth loss... And I, you know, I dropped from the tournament and I remember I was staying in this hotel room with a ridiculous number of people, way more than is legally allowed. I think we had something like 14. It was a big hotel room. It was like, a, you know, one of those like two room suite kind of things. But we still like, I, 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 am, I ended up getting up early to play the top four of the open the next day or, or two days later, I guess, for Sunday. And like, you know, waking up earlier than everyone else. And like, I remember trying to navigate in a dark room not trying to step on people because they were just, you know, the floor was covered in magic bars. So, uh, that's neither here nor there. So I, uh, one of the people I was staying with, or I was, I guess a group of people were from grinders from Massachusetts. One of them, Adam Snook, who also didn't do well at the envy. And we both went back to the hotel room and I was like, Adam, or, well, I wouldn't have said Adam. I would have said Snook, uh, you know, play Dolver mirrors against me. And we spent, I didn't let him leave the table, and we just played mirrors for like hours. And my 
I had been thinking that I I started not liking this control plan that was really common in Delver sideboards. They would sideboard like, and, you know, it was either like Frost Titan or Sun Titan or usually Consecrated Sphinx, but sometimes some mix, like a couple of six drop creatures and some like Wrath of Gods and like maybe an extra land. And they would have this plan going big. And I just, you know, it was really good the first weekend people started doing it because, you know, no one is prepared for it. But I thought people had, you know, just started getting prepared for it. And, that, you know, it was get, I'm less comfortable playing games like that than I am playing the normal tempo game plan. So I rebuilt the deck just to be like typical tempo delver. And I called it the jam plan. I was like, all I'm going to do is jam Geist of St. Draft on turn three and kill people. And so like rebuilt the entire deck uh, or, you know, retuned, I guess. And I go play the open the next day, uh, and I you know, got my first open win. I like X one to the Swiss, or I think I got to draw on round. It was a ten rounder because it was back back in the two one day era, two one day open era. So it must have been like five hundred people. It's uh, humongous, yeah. Yeah. So and I my uh, and uh, you know just won the tournament. I was I remember I was the only Delver player in the top eight. And I just kind of giggled to myself under my breath and was like, I'm, I can't lose this tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to win. I beat, uh, I beat two people playing pod decks and then I beat a zombie deck in the, in the final. I did lose game one of the finals and, uh, but won the other two. I have to go back and watch this one if I can find it. Yeah. I, you, you can find the finals match. The other two are not on camera. Mm-hmm. You know, this is before I was a really known player. Uh, and this is also early in the career of Matthias as a caster. I remember this finals was casted by Matthias and uh, Jacob Van Lunen. Yeah, it's back when the JBL and, was doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this. and it's super early in the morning, and they were both dead tired. And JBL just started talking about his like plan for the world where everybody has their own jetpack. So instead of having like needing cars or anything, just everybody gets around with their own personal jetpack. And they're just like giggling, and like Matthias obviously starts talking about the logistics and such a thing. He's like, "You're gonna have to make a lot of jetpacks." JVL fires back with, well, if you think about it, everybody only needs to make one. <laughs> it's just a ridiculous conversation before this match. But I remember I I kept bugging Matthias to like put me on camera. I was like, when am I going to get a, a feature match, Matthias? And we're we're playing the the open when the Invitational Day Two is going on, so they're not featuring any anything until the Invi's over. And he's like, well, you know, you're you're going to have to keep winning, but if you keep winning, eventually you force us to put us on camera. Yeah. And so I just kept winning, uh, and I was X one at that point, so I couldn't lose again. That's won all my remaining matches. But the, that, there's there's part of me that kind of misses the old days of of SCG coverage where they had to vamp a lot more. You know, they had to like fill dead air or whatever. I remember, I do remember the times when in between rounds they would go and play Moto like on the stream. I, like, don't, I don't remember this. that. Was this was way way back? I'm sorry, this is like ten years ago. You know, eight or nine years ago. Is this or, like GG's live? Yeah, it's like GG's live stuff, but it's really funny. I went back and watched some of my matches, and I, I I didn't know that they would randomly talk about stuff in between rounds. I went back and watched one of my matches when I was playing in, in Texas, and this is forever ago, like literal forever ago. And um, I think they put me on because, like, they they didn't really know who I was, but, like, my deck was cool, and uh, I was, like, 4-0 or 5-0 or something like that. And they kind of, like, they knew who I was. It was uh, Cedric and Matthias. Like they knew who I was, but like you know, I was I hadn't top eight an open yet. Yeah, or typical Tannen. You know, nobody knows who you are except all the people that who people know. They all know somehow know who you. Are. I'm yeah, famous adjacent. Is they like to call it. Yeah, yeah. So, and I guess they had a full air because, like, I I never seen them do this before. They were like, 
you know, hey, uh, you know, they, they come back and, you know, it, I can't remember Cedric or Matthias. They're like, oh, like I've heard through the grapevine that we're going to have Tan and Grace on camera this round. They're like, oh, tell me more about him. And they just start talking about me. And they just talk about like everything they know about me, right? And they're like, yeah, he's like, he's like a poker player. Cause like at this time, they didn't know that I was, I was actually like a magic player with results back in the day, you know, cause I had like been away from the game for so long. And I'm like, guys, I have like Grand Prix top eights from like, the, you know, 10 years ago and stuff like when I played and I won a bunch of PTQs and played a bunch of Pro Tours and stuff. And they start like talking about like my poker stuff and all this stuff. And like, you know, they're like, all right, we're going to watch it play some magic. And it's, I, uh, it's really funny because it's the first time I'd ever done it in my life. Uh, so I'm in the future match. It's like turn four. I draw a card for turn. And you know how it is in the future match. I draw a card for turn, look at the card, immediately put my hand down on the table, look at the judge, and just start laughing. And the judge is like, what? And, and I'm playing a friend. He goes, no. And I'm like, I drew a sideboard card or whatever. Because uh, I drew, what was it, Graze of Granite? I think it's Gaze of Grant. I said Graze. Yeah. Gaze X, of Grant. Black, black, green, destroy all non-land permanents with CMC yeah. less. I was playing um, this, like, Golgari... Uh, yeah, I was playing this, like, Golgari control deck or whatever, like, trying it out because it was pretty good. And I was playing against a friend that round. We got real chatty. I know, big big surprise. We got real chatty before the match, and I just counted my sideboard and counted my main deck, and I just looked through the sideboard real fast. In the manner in which I looked at it, I was like mostly looking at the name of the card and the and the mana cost, and my deck had a bunch of abrupt decays in it. So when I was going through it, I saw the black green card gold with other gold black green cards. I was like, yeah, it's good. And I just like was missing an abrupt decay and instead had like that. You know what I'm saying? I just kind of like messed up. So like on camera, they're like, they build me up before this match. They talk about all this cool stuff. And then I just like get this game lost on camera. Mistake, yeah. yeah. <laughs> super great. Just super great. So the opposite of a level up moment, but. Nice. So uh, just to wrap up like that, that turn turn win, it, you know, obviously like first open win is already a, a milestone, but the way it happened where like I bucked the trend of what people were doing and played the list that both, oh, yeah. you know, I thought was better at that point because I thought the control plan, it got so much worse uh, once people knew about it, but also just fit the way I play but way better uh, and having that work out because, you know, at that time, like I was good. I played a couple pro tours, but I didn't do a lot of innovating. You know, I just kind of played stock lists of good decks, played them reasonably well, and won a good good amount. Um, but that tournament, like, you know, I played a you know, slightly non-stock list uh, of a deck, and it worked out quite well. Yeah, it, it, there's something special about it when you get to do it, like, your way. Yeah, that's, what, that's why the Is It Phoenix win is always going to be great. Mm -hmm. you know, I was super do... excited to see you win that tournament, by the way. And, like, if you actually... Um... If you actually go back and watch that, I mean, not you specifically, everybody else watching at home, your reaction when you win that tournament, like when you win that last game, it's like so raw and real. You know, for someone who already won a bunch. Like, I don't know what my reaction in the moment would be if I finally, if I ever play another open and I won one or if we won one as a team. But I'll tell you this, if you're in the building, you're going to know that I just won that tournament because I'm probably going to get loud. <laughs> you know, you're going to hear it on the broadcast from the other side of the room, you know, however far away we are, so... Um, I'm really looking forward to these next questions. I really like uh, some of these fun questions. This is from uh, Chef Petro, uh, the, the the chef that owns a few restaurants up in the Detroit area. Very, um, He's active in our Discord, but very active in the food channel. And his pictures always get me just in the worst ways. I'm so hungry after after seeing his stuff. All right. So I really, really like his questions. We're going to start with the beginning of it. Uh, what would be your last meal, last deck, and last event? Each of these will be the last one you ever eat, play, and attend, and can be from any moment of magic of your lives. Um, I would do something Indian. Indian food is the best for last meal. Just some, some like assortment, like a you know, uh, a tali, something like that. 
Is it Tali or Thali? I've never actually heard it pronounced, but it's spelled T-H-A-L-I. I kind of think sure. it's Tali. But that's like the, you just made me question whether I know it or not, so I'm not going to answer. Yeah, it. it's it's a bu- bunch of different little things. Um, so that that's definitely last meal. Um, and uh, well, like it, last act, last event is is always so weird because like magic is always a product of the time in which you're playing. So like, can can I go back and play an event of a format that existed years yeah, ago? Yeah, you're like, this is my favorite event ever. This was it. If I had to end on something, this is the event I'd want to play. This is the deck I'd want to play. Sure, we, we can. If, if I got to play, if I got to play a tuned ver- like a better tuned version of Is It Phoenix in that first event in in Vegas, in Vegas, I think that would be awesome. Uh, my answers are very easy for this. I know all of my answers. Uh, Crispy Duck Penang in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, last deck would be Grixis Delver and Legacy, and the last event would be me, you, and Burn and Wang and Open. Easy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, last event is a team up. Yeah, nice win. Uh, another part of the question. Also, another idea could be an actual comprehensive tips for competitive Magic. I know it sounds a little clickbaity, like a top ten things, but that make you a better player. But it won't be clickbaity because we're all patrons anyway. So, like, just do you have any general tips? I guess is what this is kind yeah, of getting at. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but it, you know. A lot of it is, you know, humility. It's, you know, seeking out people who are better, both, you know, as good or better than you, but also like differently skilled than you. You know, yeah. like I've, I've learned a lot when, it, when, when Brad was still living here in Roanoke and when we would talk about magic, like we approach it so differently. It was always interesting. Uh, and, you know, he would learn from me too, even though he's significantly better than I am. Uh, so that, that was always fun. So finding people that will just like approach the game differently than you. So you can see more perspectives is always really helpful. It challenges you in some way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I think a lot of people, um, when they practice, they go for volume, like they go for quantity over quality. And I'm much more inclined to play, you know, a small set of games, but really talk over a lot of different things while doing it. And I'll take away a lot from that as opposed to just trying to jam as many games as possible. You know, you actually kind of took the, the wind out of my sails here. So I was going to say a, a different way than what I've said on the show beforehand, right? I've said a bunch of stuff on the show along this, like you say, we talk about this a lot. But I think one of the things that I talk about with people and a good way to practice for anything like this is this comes from my golf background. And this is really important in golf as well. It's not about practicing more. It's about practicing better. Yeah. It's about doing it smart, right? Because like, here's the thing. I could go pound a thousand golf balls a day and get better, right? But I could also probably get like better quicker by doing less if I do it more efficiently and the correct way. You know, if I'm if I'm not doing it just to do it, like have have a goal in mind. Like you know, you're like, hey, like I'm really gonna start, you know, making sure that I focus every turn of the game, right? That I'm not just like I'm not super focused on my opening hand and then I kind of because like I have a problem with that, right? Like I'll be like kind of lackadaisical in a certain turn or two of the game and like that's enough to lose you a match yeah no i'm I'm the same way a lot of brain farts oh yeah i'm real bad about when um i overthink something and i'm like maybe i don't need to do this right here like give and i'm trying to like i'm like give me a reason not to do this here like when would it be bad and be like oh this this and this and then like the next time i'm like that was so bad not to do that because like you get what i'm saying like you just realize you just you just lost because of it i'm just like i'm such an idiot by trying to be smart yeah no same if i go in the tank too too much then i often will circle back to an idea that i dismissed for some obvious reason early on in my thought process and then i'll come back to it for some really deep reason that's like level six 
and it'll be like, oh, that actually sounds really great. And I'll just completely miss the obvious reason why that line is bad. And then I'll just like walk into something and do or do something really stupid. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I really, I like your point about like, you know, going into every session with an idea in mind, you know, even if I've just built a deck and I'm just about to play it, I have some idea of what I think the deck's strengths and weaknesses are, and I'll try to keep an eye out for those when I'm playing it. And sometimes, you know, when you're playing new things pop up that you didn't anticipate and that's fine, you know, roll with that when it happens. But if you seed your testing sessions in that way, you know, you're, you're going to at least get that out of it. You're never going to get nothing. So you, you raise the floor of the quality of your testing when you do something like that. Absolutely. Got to agree with you. All right. Next question. GGGOR. Uh, what modern or legacy legal cards would you like to see added to Pioneer in the future? Or would you like to see a, like to, or would you like to see make a comeback in modern legacy? Sorry, I didn't, that's messed up. All right. For example, I would love to see Core Skyfisher added into Pioneer. That card is absolute all-star and popper, and I think can do some cool things in Pioneer. I think that's actually a really good answer. I think, you know, Core Skyfisher would be a sweet one if we could have the kind of aggro mid-range red-white deck like they have in Popper. I think it would be cool to have that kind of thing. Uh, I have an answer to this, so I'll go ahead and answer it first. I think I would like to see Delver of Secrets slash, like, and, and, not and or, but and, some kind of free spell that would be good for it with the current iteration of Pioneer, with the best decks being combo-oriented, you know, like Delver, I'm sorry, uh, Demir Inverter, uh, the mono white, like, or whatever white versions of Heliod and Breach. I would love to see a tempo deck arise that could c compete with them, but you would need Delver Secrets and then something like Days or Force of Negation. I mean, yes, they get those cards too, but you're adding a clock in with yours and you're more aggressive and, you know, you have access to like, you'd make the card Spell Pierce more playable in the format, you know, just like having that kind of thing. I think that would be cool in the current iteration of Pioneer. If Pioneer was different, if it was Pioneer a few months ago where the best decks were like uh, Chunky Red, having the card Days be legal is a freaking nightmare. You know, when people are casting like five mana cards and stuff and like not winning the game immediately I, off that I'd card. I'd rather do things that get us more to that. I think that era of the format was more fun. and, and... That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see if it ever comes back to that. But that, obviously, you know, I'm looking through this through tannin-colored glasses, you know, tannin-tinted glasses when it comes to this stuff. But that, that would be the card that I've always said that I would like to see legal. Maybe Lightning Bolt? I don't definitely don't want to see Lightning Bolt. The Burn Spell, I actually think, would be interesting to see as Galvanic Blast. Well, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. That was my yeah, pick at one point. Yet another yeah. Shock with Upside. I think that would, you know, potentially make the Insol decks, like, you know, competitive. Uh, as opposed to kind of tier two. So maybe I'm a little biased because I, I love the insult. Nothing wrong but with that. <laughs> I think Galvanic Blast is at the right power level for Pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, shock with upside. Um, and, and just helps out, you know, building around artifacts, which is fun. So th that's the the card that comes to mind. But my, my answer to this question until it happens is always going to be uh, friendly colored pain and fast lanes. Yeah, that should just happen. Like that's just a, an evergreen answer. <laughs> yeah. That just I'm, just I'm give it keep to us it until it does. Yeah, just just make it happen or whatever. So, all right, just do the thing. Yeah, do the thing. Okay, next one. Let's say you are put in charge of the banned restricted list for all formats starting tomorrow. Please, just just give me power. Let me wield it. Anyway, uh, what changes do you make to each format, if any, bans and or unbans? How do you cultivate each format? Mostly looking at Pioneer and Modern personally. To make them as fun and interesting as, as possible. 
Uh, this is from Cody Abzan Battle Priest, one of the... Cody, keep the great questions coming, by the way. You you, you definitely nail it out of the park every time. Do you want me to answer this? Because I've got some answers for this already. I've got some as well, but you can start. Ban Astrolabe in all formats. That's that's my first one. If it's already banned, ban it again. Just make sure they know. Uh, don't let Sensei's Dividing Top be legal in any format. Any card that does that kind of thing, I don't like. You know, it takes time away from the game. So let's let's get that card out of there. I hate what Astrolabe has done to Legacy and a lot of what it did to Modern and stuff like that. Let's just get that card out of there. Um, I think we can see some maybe light unbannings in Modern. Look, the Splinter Twin people, just get out of here with that. Like, I don't think you actually know what it's like to play in a format for Splinter Twin. And like, I'm sure there's a person that's like offended when I say they're like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, yeah, you're, you're the, you're, you're the obsession, uh, the, uh, exception, not the rule here. You don't want to play in a format where that is a large portion of the metagame and you have to devote so much of your deck to be able to beat that. It's just not good for the game. It's not healthy for the game overall yeah i'm not i'm not in on the on the twin plan uh i am very much in on the astrolabe gone all everywhere plan yeah just get that card the hell out of magic um i don't like static abilities on planeswalkers but it's fine i've just never been a big fan it leads to way too many uh like feel bad moments and they're just too good in my opinion like you know the first open where narset and teferi were legal uh a judge kept track of it over half of all of the warnings from that open were Narset. Where people just drawing an extra card or, you know, like going to, because like, it just, like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe it's fine now that everybody's just kind of used to it, but I don't know. Um, For Legacy, uh, I think just just ban Astrolabe, the, we call it blue soup. The, you know, the decks that are like three to five colors, but are also playing Back to basics and Blood Moon, like get the fuck, get out of here, and, and they're just wasteland proof. Like, come yeah, on, just like just complete nonsense. Like that's just ridiculous. Like that should not be a thing, and it just it just has to do with that card. Um, I don't know if there's like anything else necessarily that I would ban. I would love to see Deathrite Shaman unbanned, honestly, personally, but that's me. Um, yeah, no, dude, you never had to play the format. You had me playing for it. And I have like an 80% win percentage of that card. So like, sure. it, you, you personally, uh, you, you, you profit from this. Yeah. Well, legacy's not in team opens anymore. So yeah, true, true. So, yeah. um, as for pioneer, I, I would shake the format up quite a bit. I would probably do something like ban inverter, ban Lotus breach, maybe ban dig through time. And then Lotus breach is not a card. Uh, not, uh, not whatever the breach uh, from which, below. Which half do you want to ban? That's a, that, probably that's the a probably the card breach, just because it's gonna break again at some point, right? Like stop banning, like it's like Hogak, like ban, ban Hogak. Don't ban the cards around it, you know. Um, and then I think the white deck is okay. I think I would be able if you ban the other two. I think I'm okay with the Heliod deck existing. I would have to see what that looks like. Uh, I'm a hundred percent okay with the Heliod deck existing. I'm also okay with Lotus Breach existing. I think that deck, you know, pops up sometimes when it's good, and then people hate it out, and the, the tools exist to hate it out, so it's fine. All I want to do is ban Inverter. I think you can still leave Dig. Um, I think, you know, it's not like fair dig-through-time decks were, like, crushing people in, but you know, before Inverter. It was really, like, dig-through-time is busted in Inverter, but that has a lot to do with the combo itself and how well dig-through-time enables it, both by finding the pieces and by taking out your graveyard so the combo works, so... I just want to get rid of Inverter and then see what happens from there in Pioneer before going crazy there. My hot take on this is I want to unban GTA and Modern. 
Okay, I think I can get behind that. Even though I, think I do think it's is, awful, but yeah, I just don't. GTA has like a this legacy around it, this pedigree, and it, it, I think it's one of those cards that Magic has kind of passed by in the last fifteen years. It's fine as a tutor target for Stoneforge Mystic, and I think it would see some play there, but it's not busted with Stoneforge Mystic. You know, look at the like it's better in Legacy with Stoneforge than it is in Modern because Legacy has a lot more like powerful one toughness utility creatures. Modern really doesn't. You know, maybe now there's more of them if this Goblin deck takes off, and that would be nice. Like, maybe this Goblin deck is really good, and we need to check on it. And it's fine for it to be, like, really good in one matchup, especially a matchup where they, you know, they're a red deck. They can deal with artifacts. There's plenty of more efficient answers. Like, one of the reasons Jitae was so good in Kamigawa Block Limited is because there weren't that many disenchant effects. There was, like, Hearth Kami and Wear Away. And, like, that was it. Uh, I'm sure there were a few more, but you know, just not not a ton. So that you know, there's abrupt decay now, and and K command, and th these were all used to like, to unban Stoneforge Mystic. And as it turns out, like Stoneforge is fine in modern, but it's not busted. Um, I, I would have liked to see how good Stoneforge was before Modern Horizons. I, th I think Modern Horizons just ratcheted up the power level of the format overall by quite a bit. Uh, so it's kind of hard to you know compare cards that were unbanned after that, which is just Stoneforge Mystic. Um, but I, I think GTA would be a perfectly fine. I, I'm not even sure like what decks it would go in, because the premier aggro deck in the format, humans can't really play it. This is too hard to play and equip in a deck with ancient ziggurat Thalia. When GTA was really good and extended, it's like Dark Confidant was seeing a lot of play, and GTA would just kill off Dark Confidant so easily. There were other you know there were goblin decks. There were just tons of like one toughness creatures around because creatures just weren't as big. The the effect just isn't nearly as powerful. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that. And, like, that's what I'm saying. It's, like, what decks would play it that are good? You know, like, you you wouldn't see it. I don't know how I feel about it with n none of the with the new uh, legendary thing. Because, like, back in the day, it was made a little easier to play when you could just, like, play your own copy of it to kill the opposing copy. But, yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, that did happen. And, yeah. then, and then, like, control decks were playing some creatures, both to play defense and equip their GTAs to, if it came to that. Like, in block, the mono blue deck had River Kaijin in its sideboard. Yeah, I mean... Turtle. It, it was there mostly because like it was good against the black the black uh, aggro deck and, and obviously head. something could carry the jitte. You play jitte just to kill the other jitte because you're mono blue and the best answer to killing it in blue was like four or five mana. Like reweave, I think is the yeah, name of the card or something along those lines. Sure. It wasn't even a good answer or whatever. Yeah. So, all right, uh, let's see here. Next one. Any good book recommendations? And not Moneyball. I've read it three times already. Um, I'm kind of a, we're gonna have very different recommendations here because of our different readings. I'm more of a sci-fi fantasy type guy. Uh, some of the best sci-fi I've ever, ever read, honestly, I'm gonna go with the classic and just from Frank Herbert, Dune. Uh, it's a, it's made into like 17 movies. It feels like every seven years they remake the, the movie and there's another new one coming out with a bunch of big name actors and actresses in it. So I'll try it out. But that, that book is great. The series goes off the fucking wall as you get further down it. So I haven't finished a lot of it. I liked that. If you liked Game of Thrones and haven't read it, read Game of Thrones. But if you like Game of Thrones and have read it, I'm a big fan of The Wheel of Time. It's a little bit more of an investment than Game of Thrones is. And if you know how big of an investment that is, we're talking 13 books, averaging about 800 pages, maybe more. But amazing character development. Um, the author died before the last couple books came out, but left copious notes. And the person who took over it, uh, Brandon Sanderson, is probably like the most prolific and one of the best writers in the world today. And did an amazing job at finishing the books, but keeping the same voice, if you know what I mean. Like, just, 
you know, writing it in that author's tone and voice and stuff. So that was really good. Um, I, I like, you know, sports books and stuff a lot too, but nothing in particular stands out. Are you looking at your bookshelf right now? Oh yeah. So what you got? Uh, I mean, Tannen's right where our recommendations are going to be very different. I'm fiction, you're nonfiction, right? Yeah. I, I read basically all nonfiction. Um, the last book we read for study group was Women Racing Class by Angela Davis. That was really good. Uh, I am. Uh, I really I read uh, fourteen ninety one by something man. I can't remember his first name. Charles Mann, maybe Steve Mann. No. <laughs> uh, so as the the name implies, it's about uh, pre Columbian uh, civilizations in the Americas. Uh, pretty it was it's like five six hundred pages and it, so it's pretty long and it just goes through like all the things that we've learned over the last you know 50 60 years uh and it changes a lot of what you learned when you were growing up that was good um then uh the half has never been told slavery and the makings of american capitalism i don't remember the author of that one but that was also quite good all right yeah uh do you want to take a quick little uh sidetrack for like two seconds sure I just got an interesting um, email from MTG Arena. They gave me my arena stats from Ikoria. Okay. And uh, some of them are some of them are interesting. I, I didn't guess this. Uh, guess how many games I played. Uh, I don't know. Like take a guess. A few thousand. No, no, it was six hundred and eighty-one. I played six hundred and eighty-one games, which is more than ninety percent of players. It has like my gold or whatever. Guess how many boosters I opened of Ikoria. Does that include boosters you opened in a draft? Yeah, I guess I would uh, maybe, or maybe it's wins. But I'll tell you this: I did not pay for a single booster. Uh, I mean, if it's if it includes those, then it's got to be in the hundreds, right? Three hundred and sixteen. Yeah. Um, what was my favorite color? Oh, blue. It was red. Ah, I knew it was one of the is it colors. Yeah. Uh, favorite format is obviously draft. Uh. I had 278 wins in draft, so only like 30 something wins in in constructed. My highest rank in constructed was bronze three. I literally just never played constructed. Uh, it says my highest rank was mythic one, but that for limited, but that I never actually got mythic one as far as I know. So um, my most drafted commons all have the same ability on them. Is it mutate? It's cycling one. Oh yeah, right? that's the thing in that. And then my most drafted uncommons, it's really funny. So one of them is obviously Zenith Flare because it was just the best card in the set by far. The other one is Sprite Dragon because I was a huge fan of that card and like I just liked that deck. And the third card in this, which I might have actually drafted more than Sprite Dragon, it's really funny because the it's a it's one of my most undrafted my most drafted uncommons. I never cast the card, not a single time. Is it some like black cycling card? It's a footfall creator. Okay. It's just a red enchantment that has cycling yep. one. I, I, I've always like, yeah, you could cast this one, so it's really good. I've literally never cast the card in my life. So it's just kind of funny that the uh, one of the most, you know, one of the highest copy car- cards I have is a card I've never cast. All right. Anyway, next question. Just kind of wanted to break up the the question thing there. Uh, this question is from Matty J. Oh, I'm sorry. The book question was from Enemy Fire 22. Sorry for not saying your name. Matty J asks. Do either of you keep a cube? If not, what would your ideal cube look like? So, if I were, I do not keep a cube, but if I were to keep a cube, it would be a popper cube. Okay. And I like popper cube more than I like uh, other cubes. So, I do still like other cubes. You know, if you watch me stream, I streamed a fair bit of cube. 
Um, but I like Popper Cube the most because it feels more like limited. When you draft, you know, legacy and vintage cubes and stuff, you're just drafting constructed decks. Yeah. Uh, and playing them in a limited environment. And I I can get some nostalgia for playing, you know, classic limited archetypes. So I would really try to develop pretty classic limited archetypes in a popper cube. So like, a you know, like Blue-White Skies, it's kind of aggressive, tempo-y. You know, you, you would definitely have some sort of like control deck, you know, Gruel Beatdown deck. Um, our, uh, our director, Rob, actually has a popper cube. And he has a, a pretty cool Boros Tokens deck developed in it as an archetype that was cool um and it would have Seder wayfinder which is a card i've grown to love there would be some graveyard shenanigans as well so that that's that's what i can tell you <laughs> okay um i do not keep a cube but it's funny you ask this question because i've highly considered just making one recently and i think i i think my favorite or one of the ways that i would do it is i would just make one of all the cards that i like you know kind of thing and it would be more of like a value-oriented cube. There would be probably be some combos in there, but not much that, like... I don't want the games to be ending on turns three. You know what I mean? Like, I want to play the games out with some of the cooler cards that I've liked in my life. There would be themes overall. Um, I enjoy cube. It's one of my favorite ways to play Magic. And uh, I like the... I like more of, like, the mid-level powered cubes where, like, you're not... I say power cubes, more the mid-level power cubes, but, like, not actually with power in them too much. Like, it's fun every now and then to do that, but I don't like just doing broken things on turn one or two all the time. And I think I would really like a common uncommon cube. Like, just, like, no rares. Or maybe a few rares that feel like that. Like, some maybe, like, some of the older rares in Magic history, you know, that feel more like uncommons now kind of thing. But the second part of this question, I'm going to bring it up, and then I'm going to decide what I want to do with it. Um, the question I really want to know is what happened on Tannen's Christmas trip to Europe to visit an ex- but since that seemed pretty personal, I'll settle for Cube. Laugh out loud. Uh, if, if I don't remember what episode it was, but this came up and Ross kind of wanted some of the answers on the show. I think we were drinking for that show a little bit, so it was a little more loose-lipped than normal. Uh, I don't know, man. Like This would be where I would talk more about it, you know, since y'all are directly the, the patrons. I don't know if everyone here remembers that episode. Ross kind of had to be reminded of it. Um. I think maybe one day I could tell more of the story. It's just way too long. And, like, I don't want to say names and stuff as well. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's just too much of the story, honestly. I, you know, I, I'm not in the mood right this minute. How about that? Maybe on the next one, we'll talk a little about it. Maybe I'll have a drink or two before the show, and we'll have a little one. All right. Um, that was... Magic. All right, did uh, GOGG get multiple questions? Or he did. All right. GOGGR, another one. Favorite athletes as one mana creatures, or what magic colors would be uh, your favorite teams? What would they be? Got any ideas for this one? Uh, I, I don't know. Like, okay, I got a, I got a couple ones. The Oakland Athletics would be white because uh, they don't have as much as everyone else because white is the worst color in the history of magic, but they randomly win sometimes and they do really well. <laughs> they try really hard and they have to do it as a team. They all have to work together, right? And the New York Yankees would be blue because when like you play blue, you're like superior to other people. You don't have that kind of like inferiority complex. You're like, I'm smarter than you. I'm playing all these fancy cards and stuff. And the Yankees think they're smarter than everyone. So yeah. And the Boston Red Sox would be some sort of green deck because they were the lovable losers for so long and have now just become really good and everyone hates them. Yeah. There you go. They're Simic. They're Simic for the last year and a half. Yeah. That's a good one. Favorite athletes as one mana creatures. That one is like, I don't know even where to go yeah, with this like one what, what 
I'm, I'm just trying to think, like, who my, who would I be trying to describe? Like, who are my favorite individual athletes? Like, I'm a huge Roger Federer fan, but what, what one mana creature would Roger Federer be? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he would be, like... I don't even know, man. Like, I, I, I don't think I can answer this one correctly. I, or I just really don't think I... I've been thinking about it for days since I saw it. I just can't. I'm impressed that we came up with some good answers for the baseball teams. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely you. Maybe we'll sw- maybe we'll swing back to this one. Let's just go to the next question. This is from the Cody Hope. I always want to hear more tournament stories, LOL. Uh, do you have a tournament story that you haven't told before on the um, cast? Or- there was the time somebody had a seizure during a PTQ and I didn't notice. Okay. Uh, I actually, at the last invitation I played at, a player, I was walking by and a player had a seizure in the middle of their match. And I remember I ran up to the stage and was like, hey, is there like you know, a, a doctor or anything in there, like they made an announcement or whatever, and somebody got to, you know, they rolled the kid on their side. I remember to say, I was like, don't, no one touch his mouth. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't want to lose a finger. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people tell that, like, oh, you know, protect his tongue, make sure it's a swallow tongue. That's almost like never going to happen. But if you put your hand into their mouth, they might bite your damn finger off. Yeah. Or whatever and stuff. So like, be careful with that kind of stuff. Um, Trying to think if I have like a tournament story that I haven't told. I, got, I mean, I've got some, I'm sure I have just a billion in the chamber. So like. Think about it while I tell mine. So I was at, I was at a PTQ in some suburb of Philadelphia. Uh, this is probably between ten and fifteen years ago, like mid two thousands, um, and it is like round one or two, you know, pretty early, and it's in the sort of basement area of like a hotel conference center kind of thing. So. I'm sitting there, and whatever round I was playing was really tense, really long. And you know, I, I pull the match out. I go turn up the slip. At least I think I won. I, I might not. Have, I don't know. Irrelevant. And I you know find the people I'm there with, you know, between the rounds, and they're talking about something. And I like it doesn't make any sense what they're talking about to me. I'm like, what the hell are y'all talking about? Like, did you not notice the guy had a fucking seizure like mid match? And. And, and I was like, no. And it happened they had, and it happened behind me. So I didn't see it. But, like, paramedics came into the hall and put the, you know, put the guy on a stretcher and carried him out. And, uh, like, I just didn't notice the entire time. I don't know. I just, I guess I'm really focused. At least I used to be. All right. All right. Um, I got I got, I got one I haven't told her. So it's, it's my first GP ever. It is Kamigawa Sealed. I think it's triple Kamigawa Sealed. It's in Austin, Texas. Uh, this is not around, like, you know, it's like middle of the day, so around like five or six or whatever. And I, I remember playing my opponent, and I remember beating them. I won the round. And they kept, like, a one-lander or something in one of the games and didn't draw out of it, and they were, like, upset about it, right? And not upset as in, like, oh, I should have kept his hand, but they were, like, pretty mad they didn't draw out of it, right? And, like, I didn't say anything, but I kind of just wanted to be like, dude, you kept, like, you kept a one-lander. Like, what do you... Like, what do you expect? You just, like, rattle off five lands in a row? You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. But the the, the thing of the story that makes it funny is uh, I, I sign the slip and do, like, the sheepish, like, you know, push the slip over because I want away from the table as quickly as possible, you know? Because this guy's just being belligerent. So the guy signs the slip, and then in big letters across the entire slip of the pen, it writes, fuck the DCI. So I uh, I walk it up hand it to the judge, you know, like in the little thing. And like, I kind of look at him. He's like, what? And I look at the sheet and he just looks at it. And he just, he just kind of giggles. And I just go, yeah, sorry, man. Or whatever. And just give it to him. And, uh, he was like, did you do this? I was like, no. And he goes, yeah, I didn't think so. 
And so I remember later, like five minutes later, as I'm like walking to go find my friends to tell them this funny story. Uh, let's let's say you're my opponent, right? Yeah. Let's just say that you were my opponent around. You did this over the loudspeaker here. Uh, would Ross Merriam please report to the judges table? Would Ross Merriam please report to the judge table? I was like, oh, I wonder what happened. Like, to this day, I still don't know what happened to that guy, but it could not have been yeah, good. Yeah, it definitely wasn't good. He might <laughs> but, have been uh, sent home. But the, like, just the ridiculousness of the audacity of, like, you kept the one lander and, like, you tilted off, uh, like, after losing this, and you're going to say, fuck the DCI, and then write it on the, like, you know, like, I understand people are like, screw this game, and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Uh, the DCI you know, in particular. Yeah, but the DC, like, come on. Like, what? what? I, I've had a person, uh, I, I beat them in the last round of a sealed PTQ to make top eight. And they picked the rares out of their deck and then threw the rest of it down the table. So they didn't throw it across the table at me. They just kind of, like, whipped it to their left and it went down the table. And our match went pretty long. There was nobody playing there. So they didn't interrupt other matches going on. But... Like, I mean, it was right in front of me. And I thought, like, you know, one, like, that's that's already just kind of, like, you know, bad. that's already bad form. Bad manners, yeah. But to the audacity of picking the rares out of your deck. And it's not like that they had, like, a Planeswalker or some chase rare from the set. This was Scars of Mirrodin Block. They had, like, a Horde Smelter Dragon. It was worth, <laughs> yeah, like, just, 50 cents. Just chafe. Yeah, okay. and I don't think they were playing with sleeves, so, like, it was a beat-up Horde Smelter Dragon, and they just, like, refused to throw away the, like, 20 cents in rares that they had, uh, but were angry enough. So they were, like, had the... It wasn't, like, a spur of the moment, like, throw this down the down the table. Like, they had to think through, and then had time to think about, is this something I really want to do while picking the rares out of their deck? This was contemplated the entire time yeah. this is going on. And yeah, still yeah. decided to do it. I thought was particularly delicious, but it, it was nice because like they, they were really cocky when we sat down to play the match. And, you know, they said that they had like seen my deck because my previous round also went pretty long. And that just gave me information because I knew which cards I had played in that match. So there was a bomb in my deck. He didn't know about, I had a Skitherix that like I hadn't played that match and I just killed yeah. him out of nowhere with it in game two <laughs> and then yeah. multi five in game three and still won. very satisfying. I got, I got a good one here. Um, so this is back when I'm doing a lot of poker um, and I'm not playing a lot of magic, right? My uh, my roommate at the time was a magic player, a local magic player, a uh, very good limited player. And uh, there was a PTQ on a Saturday morning, right? And they're usually pretty early, like 9 or 10 a.m., right? Yeah. Especially for a poker player, right? So I go play poker Friday night because I'm not missing Friday and Saturday night poker if I can miss it at the local casino because the games are so good. Like this is back when the new casino like just opened up and I was just just crushing it. And, um, so I remember I go play poker that night, Friday night, and I stay really late cause the game is that good. Right. Like I, I made a ton of money that night. So I get home, I go to sleep and I set my alarm for the PTQ the next day. Cause like my roommate wanted to go and I was like, I'll go, but I wasn't super invested. Right. You know, I was like, I'll go cause it's local. I mean, it's like literally 20 minutes down the street. You know, I just, I literally had to take like two turns to get there. I just had to go down the main road, you know, down, uh, like, like not the interstate, but like one of the main highways in, in, in the city. I wake up at, you know, 8 a.m. or whatever it is, you know, maybe four hours of sleep, right? I turn over to turn my damn phone off. I'm like, screw this. I'm going back to bed. So I go back to bed. You may have heard me talk about this in the show. I'm not very good at that. Like, you know, if, if I wake up, I'm usually up. 20 minutes later, my uh, my roommate knocks on the door and opens the door. And he's like, hey, like, we were going to ride together originally. He's like, hey, are you going to, like, come to the PTQ? Are you coming? And I was like, 
I wasn't awake, but I'm awake now, so I guess I'll go. And he's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and go. You can just, you know, take your own car or whatever. I was like, cool, cool. Get up, take a shower real quick. Go to the PTQ. Look at my sealed pool. And I'm like, well, I'm in the top eight. Right? You know, like, barring something crazy. I'm mean, like, my sealed pool was nuts. Right? I exo the Swiss. Make it in the top eight. My deck, after pack two, I would have laid you any odds you want that I was winning this tournament. <laughs> it was a Theros block. And I had three gray merchants. I was mono black, except for I had a black white card called Triad of Fates that lets you yep. blink your own creatures. I played a lot and my of deck stuff. was good, right? Pack three, I didn't see a single black card because the version of my right opened, I think it was like Adherent Overlord. It was like just seven drop black creature or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I'm just going, yeah, I'm just taking it. The thing made one ones for each, for your devotion to black. Yeah, yeah. It would have been fine, but like whatever. But I opened a pack that didn't really have a good black card in it and had a Heliod in it. Right? This is the first Heliod. Like, this is the original one. So I was like, take Heliod. And then I took a bunch of white cards in the pack. And I was like, all right, I just have this Heliod in my deck and, like, you know, some other stuff. Right? Um, I ended up, like, you know, doing well. I mean, I'm in the finals. And it's the, the PTQ is it's, it's at a hotel because we're in a ballroom of a hotel, you know, so we have room for everybody. But it's run by the LGS. And in the finals, there was a lot of people watching, a lot of a lot of people because um I'm playing against uh this kid. I say kid at the time, he's probably in his early twenties, who is like a player at the local game store. Like he plays at the local game store or whatever, blah blah blah. And everyone's rooting for him, right? You know, because like he's he's never won anything, he's never been to the pro tour, they're all like super excited for him. And I start to realize that this is happening, right? I'm like, dude, everybody's rooting against me here, which is like fine, like whatever. But you like are the it's so in weird. This story. Right, and I end up winning. I end up winning the match. Uh, game, I, I win game one, right, and like I realize I'm like my deck is definitely better than his or whatever. I'm probably gonna win, and it was really weird. Like, have you ever played? I'm sure you've done this when you've won a tournament. Like, I knew that I had won the tournament probably like turn three or turn four of game two, like the way my hand was, the way the first couple turns had been, and like I was like, I'm gonna win this game. I just have to play it out for like seven more turns. Yeah, I right? had this, the same thing happened in my first PTQ win. It was yeah. Scars Block Limited. And I drafted a Dinosaurs deck in the top eight. Uh, this was like the week after Ari sort of unveiled that archetype in Nashville. Yeah. And I had an Arc Trail in my deck. My, my first two packs had, were in, or my pick one of packs one and two was Oxidus Scrap Melter Arc Trail. So go me. And uh, Pretty good. Yeah. And game three of this match, my opponent is like a very mediocre Furnace Celebration deck because they only got one Celebration. If they gotten two, their deck would have been pretty good. Um and so, you know, I'm feeling fine. We're in game, we're in game three. And uh, I have the Arc Trail in my opening hand. I'm on the play. Uh, but they play turn two Ledenmere. And I'm like, ooh, that's a one toughness thing for this Arc Trail. And that, I, my brain starts going through. I'm like, what three mana, like two toughness creatures have I seen? Or four mana, two toughness creatures have I seen? And the only one I could come up with was Moriak Replica. Like, I knew they had a Moriak Replica. So I just started, like, I don't know, like, trying to, like, ESP my opponent. Just play Moriak Replica, please. Or, like, praying to some higher power. Just please let me get this clean two for one with this Arc Trail. The game will be easy from there. And it just plays more Arc Replica on turn three. I blow them out. And, you know, from there, the game was not close. Nice. And so, like, I'm sitting there and I'm realizing that I've got this, this match won, right? And then I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the Pro Tour. And so I have to, like, finish it out. And when I win, it's, like, really quiet. All right, I shake his hand. I'm like, hey, man, like, really good job, like you know, sorry, it had to, you know, in this way for you or whatever, because I liked the kid, he was really nice, and uh, I'm like, sorry, and everybody was like, you know, patting him on the back, like, sorry, dude, we wanted you to win, or whatever, and like, 
almost no one congratulated me. There was like no photo for winning. Like there would have been like they were ready to take a photo. And I was like, am I the bad guy? You know, like, like am I like the big bad guy in this situation? I'm like, maybe I am, you know, or whatever. And, gotta do what you know, you gotta um, do. so th- that's like the funny part of the story. It's, it's actually pretty serendipitous that this happened now that I mention it, because I kind of thought about it, uh, that I almost didn't even go to this tournament. So I would not have won it. I would not have gone to this pro tour. That's where I met Brennan DeCandio. And that's where we became friends. Wow. So, so you just, you won handily this tournament. Yes. So like this almost didn't happen. Right. So I got to go to a free trip for, to Spain for this and play at a pro tour or whatever. And it was, it was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, that got me back into Magic as well. And, like, during that time is, is actually, like, I was pr- playtesting for the Pro Tour when, uh, again, I'm going to mention his name again, Nathan Zamora, who's that's admirable, reached out to me. And that's how I started working in esports, too. Because I he, I had to push it back, too, because he's like, hey, I want you to learn this new game. I'm like, what is it? He's like, it's called Hearthstone. I'm like, dude, I'm, I just qualified for a Pro Tour. I got to practice, man. If I start learning some other game that's going to, like, cut into it, <laughs> I really wish I had just started going into Hearthstone or whatever. But, you know. Because I didn't do very well at the tournament, et cetera, whatever. Oh, you know, you only you only know the like the watershed moments in your life in hindsight. You you never see them coming. There are there are things that you think might be, you know, and almost and if you try to like make if you try to force it, it almost never happens. And then yeah. you know, really innocuous things end up being super important. And you, but... like yeah, have I t- ever told you about how my wife and I met? No. So uh, it's right before I moved to Vegas, like officially moved because I was like spending summers there and stuff or whatever. But I was like, I'm gonna go live in Vegas, right? And it's like a week before, and I was like visiting some of my friends for you know because I'm like, hey, I don't know when I'm gonna visit back, so like let's hang out or whatever. But I'm visiting someone on the side of town, and it's like nine thirty or ten, maybe like nine nine thirty or whatever. I'm leaving, and I'm like, dude, I'm starving, right? And the only thing that has like hot food around me that's like not fast food that's open is a pub, you know, it's like a restaurant bar thing. And so uh, I swing in there, I sit up at the bar. Cause, cause I, I want to get served right away. I don't have to like wait for a table and sit at a table by myself. That's kind of, it's kind of depressing or whatever. Yeah. And the, and the bar is a TV and they got like a baseball game on or something. Yeah, like that. I've done that. It is. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, table for one, like no, no offense to anybody else out there likes that stuff. Not for me. Um, I'm a chatter. So, uh, so I, I just get up there and uh, maybe I got a beer or two or something. I don't know, whatever. But you know, I order the, I remember cause I order the burger or whatever. And I'm just sitting there and it just so happened that the bartender uh, was putting themselves through college and was a friend of my then no one to me, but now wife and her and one of her friends were there just hanging out because they had just gotten out of class. Like they had a night class and her friend really wanted cheese fries and they have really good cheese fries. This place, they like serve it with gravy and ranch on the side and like cheese fries with gravy is like really, really good. So anyway, I'm just sitting there and I have my burger and I look over and there's this cute girl at the bar, like two seats down. And I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, but we just started chatting, and I married that woman. Yeah, they do it. <laughs> one of uh, one of my friends from college met his wife in Berlin. Okay, he was uh, he won a Watson Fellowship when uh, as an undergrad. What's a Watson Fellowship? So it's a uh, you, you basically get a bunch of money to go and like study in like four or five different countries. You have to like write out your own itinerary. Tell them what you're going to like study and look into, and then like you know do a report about it at the end. But you basically get to like you know live without with that's your job for a year, and it's a very prestigious fellowship. And so he you know took a year off after undergrad to do this before enrolling in Stanford. He now has a PhD. He's one of the smartest people I've ever ever known. And uh, but he's on this Watson fellowship, and he's in Berlin, 
and he's like can't make heads or tails. I think he's in a train station. Like can't make heads or tails of where he's going because he just doesn't know German. And he overhears two women speaking English, and he goes up to them to try to get help. And you know, ends up you know they end up you know traveling together a little bit, but not very much. But he finds out that one of them grew up in Southern California like he did. Like they grew up like twenty miles apart, and they yeah. just met in Berlin. And you know they you know found each other back in California, and, and you know the rest is history. And uh, just a ridiculous, ridiculous story. Yeah, ridiculous consequence. Uh, consequence. Uh, coincidence. In fact, uh, we had a um, a funny one like that when my wife's parents and my parents were talking. We found out that we were po- very possibly in Disney World on the same day, years and years and years and years and years ago. Like she would have been an actual child. Like I might have been a teenager because I'm like six years older than my wife. And uh, I was like, "How crazy to be?" Because have you ever seen that where people like have pictures and they're like, "I this is my wife randomly in the background of the yeah, picture, yeah. but I didn't meet her for another like 15 years." Like how crazy would it be? Because we were we weren't picture takers, but they were. So I was like, I was like, I don't know, maybe we should look at all the pictures because that would just be. She's like, "Yeah, I wonder if I ever saw you." Or like, you know, it's like some random thing, you know, because like thinking about it, it's like she didn't live in Baton Rouge my whole life or whatever. But like, you know, I wonder if we ever, you know, ran into it because it's 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 a it's a big city, but it's a small city. Like everybody knows everybody. So. Yeah. All right. Another good question about food coming up from Yeoman Five, one of my favorite people, by the way. Yeoman Five, love you, buddy. Everybody right now, if you're into M21, a lot of the new stuff, go check out his new article and his new stuff on Twitter. Uh, he writes for TCG Player. I think he put up at least 50 deck lists, including M21 cards. It's like his thing, right? Like, he's just, he loves to brew, loves stuff. Uh, hey, he's streaming a lot right now, does some really cool decks with that stuff. So make sure you check out Yeoman. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. But I, I know him as the guy who always posts his lunch, breakfast, and dinner in the food thing. And I appreciate it every time because uh, really he's good. got kind of the uh, Latin flair to a lot of his food. And I love Latin food. So, whatever. But anyway, his question is, favorite street food? So I haven't had a lot of, you know, street food in my day. And I know that supposedly like Southeast Asia is supposed to be, you know, really widely available, really good, cheap street food. Central America as well, yeah. Yeah, and I've just never been to either of those locations. I will say my favorite street food that I have had is crepes on the streets of Paris. Definitely agree with you. Um, very good. They're just like on the corner, like a hot dog vendor thing. Yeah, you, know, you just like a get lot of crepes. They like wrap it up and you know, and put it, fold it into a triangle and put it into like a little sleeve, and you just fucking have a crepe out in the street. It's it's chocolate awesome. and bananas, please. Let's go. I had, I think I had like seven there. I was there for Pro Tour Paris in 2011. It was my first Pro Tour. Um, actually, that that PTQ that I won with the Arc Trail was for Pro Tour Paris. And uh, actually, this is actually a good story. Let's tie back into the to magic stories, but uh. When we were on our way to that PTQ, a friend of mine just said, you know, if anybody wins this PTQ, I'm just going to go to Paris with you. And it's not like this was, we were not great. Like in in this group of people traveled to tournaments for like six years. And I think in that time, one of total of like four PTQs. And this was the fourth one. Um, right. So, you know, it, this was not a very likely occurrence that one of us was going to win a PTQ. And I win the tournament, and he, you know, kept his kept his word. He came to Paris with me. And this to this day, it's like my favorite trip I've ever taken uh, for a Magic tournament. And it was, you know, great having somebody there because I basically knew no one. Um, and you know, <laughs> he the, the day we left is is really really funny. So uh, 
we left we went Monday to Monday or Tuesday to Monday something like that and so we were and we weren't leaving until Monday evening so we had Monday after all the magic is over to you know do stuff and we did some touristy stuff before the weekend as well but the one thing we had left was the Eiffel Tower and so we actually went to the Eiffel Tower that day and it was Valentine's Day that Monday was February 14th so we went to the Eiffel Tower after breakfast and then we went to uh, the Louvre because I wanted to spend a good amount of time in the Louvre. And I could spend days there. Uh, it's pretty nice. <laughs> and and, and it, it ended up me being me, like, really excitedly, almost kind of running, but trying not to run because they would yell at you. But I was just too excited and full of energy. <laughs> and my friend Brian just dragging behind me, not giving a shit. <laughs> and I'm just pointing things out. And I'm like, oh, look at this. Look at this, Brian. Look at this. I remember the entire time I really wanted to see uh, the statue Winged Victory at Samothrace which is a you know, statue of Nike, uh, but and the head is gone for whatever reason, but the wings are, are really impressive. And I didn't know exactly where it was. And we were getting to the end of a hallway and going upstairs to the next floor, and it was on the landing in this big stairwell. And so I turned the corner and I see it and I just froze. And Brian is like, Ross, why did you stop walking? He like almost ran into me. And I just point up and I'm like, that's it. That's a wing and victory. Um, but a ton of, a ton of cool stuff there. But, the story is good when uh, when we get ready to leave. So the plan, like we had all our bags with us, and we were able to leave them at the Louvre, like check them basically, which is nice. So we had a ton of luggage, and we we're going to get out of there and then go straight to the airport. And so we do that, and uh, you know, Brian, uh, the last thing Brian did was grab a bottle of wine for his mom uh, as a souvenir. And so we get the bottle of wine, and then we take the subway out to Charles de Gaulle Airport. And there's two uh, stops at the end, depending upon which terminal you need. And, you know, our phones weren't working because this is 2011. We didn't, like, buy a plan. And we thought we wanted one terminal, and we were wrong. So we got out, and we, like, walked through the terminal. We can't find a place to check in. So we're like, okay, go to the next one. And so we go do that. And then we get in to go check in, and it just, like, can't read my passport. And I'm having trouble checking in. And eventually, like, somebody has to come over and help us. But it takes some more time. And then Brian's like, oh, uh, before we go through security, I want to reposition some stuff in my luggage so I can get the bottle of wine in my checked bag, right? And, like, make sure it's sort of secure. And so he does that. And as he's rifling through his bag, setting everything up, he, like, swept his toiletry bag out of the way, which he had he had all his toiletries in, like, a Ziploc bag. And he must have just, like, hit his razor blade because he just starts bleeding. Ow. Like, he, cut, he just cut himself in the middle of the airport. And he was like, you know, bleeding pretty good because he wasn't really thinking. He was just trying to quickly swipe everything out of the way. So he must have like hit it at some speed. So now he's bleeding and we've got to be like, okay, like what do we do? We got to find something. I can't even remember what he used at the time, but he just like wrapped it in like a napkin or something probably. And, you know, quickly finished packing his stuff. And we were like, okay, let's just get through security. And there'll be some, something in the airport to go bandage you up and we'll, we'll get it done. And so he goes through security with just, like, a bloody hand and, like, a bloodshot napkin around it. It's not, like, horrible, but it it looks, like, it's still awkward. And we get through security, and at this point, we're, like, you know, we don't have that much time. And so I take all the bags and go to the gate, and he goes to go get bandages. And I'm, like, okay, so, like, you know what gate you're going to, Brian. I'll be there with all our stuff. So I get to the gate, and, um, you know, wait 20, 30 minutes, and they start boarding. And Brian still hasn't shown up. So I don't know what's taking him so long to find bandages, but he's just not there. 
and you know i'm waiting they call they eventually get to like our section or row or whatever and i don't even board the plane i'm like i'm gonna wait as long as i can and they're getting to the end of the boarding process and then i go up and like he's still not here and so i just go up to the front to the desk and i start trying to explain the situation to them and they're not really having any of it and so i start like asking like you know my, my friend is you know it's a hard situation to explain. I was like, he cut himself. He has to go get bandages. And, you know, he's still not back here. I have his bags. And, you know, if if he's not here in time, can I just leave his bags here? And he's like, you know, the attendant's like, unattended bags, 750 euro fine from the police. And I'm just like, well, that's bad. I don't want to do that. But they're not, are they going to give the fine to me? They're probably going to try to stop me if I try to leave the bags here. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I was, what, 22 at the time. So like pretty young. And kind of nervous about how this is all going to play out. And fortunately, he like showed up, you know, five minutes before they closed the, the boarding doors and we just got on the plane. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we cut it real close. And I, I was I had ultimately made up my mind that I was going to leave his stuff there. So because I was going to get home. I don't know. Like, I, I certainly didn't have the money to buy another fucking ticket home. Yeah. I sold cards at that tournament to pay for dinner <laughs> one night. I was, what question uh, were we on? Were we on favorite street foods? Yeah, yeah. So favorite street okay. food at crepes, crepes for sure. <laughs> the longest answer ever for the word crepe. Uh, well, it tied back. I, I actually, it, it reminds me of another good tournament story. To do your street food, and then I'll do another tournament story, and then we'll wrap it up. I gotta say, uh, like obviously, just street corn, Mexican street corn, is very, very good. Um, I had a bunch of good street food when I was in um, Ecuador, like. All kinds of, I'm trying to think of anything in specific, like specifically that just stood out. But what, like, what do they usually serve on the street there? Is it like empanadas, anything fried or? Yeah, like like yeah, the, the empanadas were out of the world. Um, just like practically, you could just find everything. You know what I mean? Like they make they make little like plate lunches. And, you know, um, the food's just so good. Like it's it's hard to explain. I don't I don't. There was no like specific one, but Mexican street corn definitely stands out. Uh, tying into the next question, I love street tacos like quite a bit. And stuff, you know, um, hmm. I was going to say, there was a, I guess if it does, does a food truck kind of count as street food? It's kind of our version of it, right? Uh, there was this food truck in Vegas that when I lived there, I followed their Twitter because they would tell you where they were. Yeah. It was called Fuku Burger. It was just like a burger thing. And their burgers were just unreal good. And, uh... I used to eat it a lot during the World Series because they would just like obviously like come pull up in the parking lot of of the Rio, you know, because there's just like thousands of dudes playing poker, you know, and it's like you know come get a burger, you know, and they're the, they're the kind of place that like when you look at the menu and it's got a burger, it doesn't say like meat, cheese, onion, tomato. It's just like seventeen things for the burger, you know, or like each one's you know what I mean? It's like a it's like a gourmet burger, you know, you're spending twenty bucks on your burger kind of thing. It was. Really good. They had a uh, brick and mortar store after a while, but it wasn't as popular as the food truck. It wasn't as good, honestly. It's probably like less greasy and less like slapped together and stuff. Uh, so last magic story. My third pro tour was for um, pro tour Dark Ascension in Hawaii, Honolulu. This was the infamous Planeswalker Point pro tour, where you could qualify for the pro tour by just accumulating Planeswalker points. Uh, the first season that they had those. And I actually, I went to like two GPTs that I otherwise would not have gone to, to try to grind Planeswalker points. I skipped a PTQ early in the season and I did not top eight a single PTQ 
in this entire season, and I still made the top 100 easily. There were these stories of like people going to this absurd lengths to grind points, and I just didn't have to do that. So I had a very different experience just getting enough points. I actually like assumed that it would be really difficult and didn't want to do it. And on a lark at the end of October, checked to see where my standing was. I was just like bored one night and I was in the top 100 and I was like, oh shit, I should do this. It's only another like month and a half in the season. And so I just like kept going to the PTQs I was going to. Back then I was just playing at my local store three times, three, four times a week, which weren't a lot of points individually, but I just like had such consistent points over that time. So uh, I just, you know, I just made it. But regardless, I go to this Pro Tour and it's my third Pro Tour. And at this point I have like fully understood the importance of networking in competitive magic and so i made a point to really try to meet people and put myself out there and start networking more i was like that's going to be a real goal for me in addition to you know doing well in the tournament and it ended up being the first pro tour i ever cashed it was a great weekend uh but that's what led me to do something i otherwise probably wouldn't have done so we're hanging out i'm hanging out with some people like day before the tournament on like check-in day right and a, per, a magic person, magic player that I know, but I've never met personally, is just doing the classic thing where they're going around to groups of people and just asking for cards. And they just need a full deck, right? Full 75. And the deck they need is Illusions, which, like, a small group of people decided was secretly good. It had been good, like, two months ago, but then people figured out how to build Delver, like, like it, you remember it. Then, like, Illusions was kind of the precursor to Delver. But for some reason, they like thought the more like creature-heavy kind of deck would be good for this field, and so there were some people who wanted to play Illusions, and I had all the cards on me, and so I just said, and I said, you know what? Like normally, I would not just loan all these cards to a stranger, but I was not playing Delver at this tournament. I was actually playing uh, a green-red beatdown deck, but a bad version of it, um, and uh, I I was like, yeah, I've got the cards for you. So I like, comes back to the hotel with me later. And it turns out I, I had sold my Illusion Lords. So I had 71 of the 75, right? And I just loaned them sight and scene. He bombed the tournament, gave me the cards back. Uh, but it established a relationship that has been rather important in my Magic career to this day. Do you think you can hazard a guess at who I loaned these cards to? No. It was Cedric Phillips. Oh, wow. <laughs> My first in, my first interaction ever with Jim Davis was me loaning him cards for uh, a Delver deck in Legacy. And it's because I knew Todd Anderson at the time. And Jim was going around looking for it. And he goes, oh, I know somebody who always plays that deck. And so he's like, he used like my dazes, my forces. So he was just missing chunks of the deck. And like, had it not been someone who was a named player, like I knew who Jim Davis was, obviously. I would not have just given those cards out, you know, because it's... Loaning out legacy cards is much different than loaning out standard yeah, cards. Yeah. It's like, oh, one's worth a couple hundred bucks. This is worth a few thousand. You know, like, it's like a down payment for, or this is like worth a car, you know, kind of thing. So, all right. Uh, last question on the list for today. Uh, I'm kind of excited about this one because it does play into what we were talking about a little bit. Best tacos you've ever had. Yeah. So we, we have some agreement here. There's a couple places in Vegas that are really good. You want to start? Okay, we'll start with the, the one that doesn't need as much explanation. There's one that's the, it's just called Tacos and Beer. If you have a name like that, you you better have good tacos. One of the reasons I liked it so much is the place was open really late. So, like, me and uh, my poker buddy there, Timothy Landell, could, like, always go really late and get some tacos and, like, you know, hang out and do whatever. But the prices weren't too bad, and the tacos were always cool. Like, it was never, like, you could get, like, the very basic kind of stuff. But I remember, like, one of them, 
was like, you know, it had all the different kinds of meats and stuff, but like I almost always got some that had mashed potatoes in them. You know, and like just like you get what I'm saying. It's not just your traditional yeah, taco. They did a lot like, of fusion list- tacos there. This is like your kind of fancy taco place. Yeah, it's like twenty or thirty different kinds of tacos. They're all great. And just it was just really good overall. Not the specific taco. I got I got some more answers, but go ahead. Well, then there's the the other one in Vegas that is I think kind of mandatory. Tacos al Gordo is Yeah. So this one is it's kind of a lo- it doesn't get a lot of press if you're not if you don't know a local person. It's like one of the local spots. It's kind of like lo- Lotus of Siam, like that I always talk about. Like you have to be a local or know locals to hear about this place. If you go, expect the line. It's that good. The line is absurd. And we talked about this um, the first time I ever went. I had the same reaction that Ross did. Um, you go and there's not one line. There's like four or five different lines because they're depending on what meat you want in your taco. You have to get into that specific line. So when we would go, it would be like three or four or five of us, and we'd be like, all right, uh, who wants, like, how many want chicken? How many want beef? How many want, you know, pork? How many want this or whatever? And they had all the different kinds of meats, like you were talking about, like, you know, they had the different, you know, like you could get tendon and stuff like that, you know, that like more like Central America and South America, yeah, you like get they like. Meats, which is a, yeah, a very good sign that you're in an authentic restaurant is that they're serving organ meats. Yeah, it's just, it's absurd good. And it's the kind of tacos that, like, you get. It's, like, tortilla, meat, cilantro, onion, maybe something else, done. Yeah, maybe a little pico if you want it. Yeah, something, you know, whatever, and done. And it's just unreal yes. good. Tra- traditional Mexican street taco. They, like, the thing to me is they have one line that's only for Al Pastor because the at the front of that line is the rotisserie, and they carve it straight off of the rotisserie into the taco. Yeah, they, they don't mess around. It's so good. A um, couple other answers that could may, possibly make it up here, because I am a taco lover. Yeah, same. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of this damn place. Uh, it's a chain in Texas now, but I remember there was only one. Velvet and they're taco? making... Huh? Velvet Taco, the one we go to. I was, that was going to be the next one I talked about. It was the other one that we would go to before that one. Um, um, anyway, they, they, they have weird names for tacos. I remember Torchies. there's this one they have... It's the other huh? one, right? Torchies? Torchies, yeah. They had a taco called The Democrat, and I just love that taco for some reason. It's really, really good. Their food was, like, pretty good for the price. It's, like, kind of getting chainy now. You know what I mean? It's, like, not as good as it was when there was, like, one or two, but I ate it a lot when I was there. The Velvet Taco is actually just better. It's very close to the site where we would play a lot of our events in Dallas, and I would go every time I'm there. They had a specific taco. Go ahead and, like, can you talk for a second? I'm going to look this up. Yeah, yeah. So Velvet Taco is really good. I would put it behind the two Vegas ones. Um... But that, it reminded me of another place in Cleveland, Barrio. That place was really good. Okay, uh, I've heard of this place, but I've never been. There's a, a specific taco that I remember I had, and it was like one of the best tacos I'd ever had in my life. Because uh, the bacon that they put in it was like perfectly made. You know, it was like literally like exactly how I would make a piece of bacon if I could like it. And I don't know, man, this, this place is really, really good. It suffers from one of the same things. It's always like it's a relatively small place that's really popular, so you have to kind of like find a place to park, wait in line. There's nowhere to sit, kind of stuff. And but I mean, everything's really, really good there. Barrio is one of those places where they give you the sheet and you just like fill in what you want in the taco. Yeah, there's tons of different options. But it was- there was a place. There was a place in Pittsburgh. I don't remember the name of it, but Stu Somers brought us when we were. There. I think you were there one night, and we went one night. It was like that. They gave you the sheet, and you could put it in, and you got to even pick your shell. It was a uh, condado. That might be it. It was the one that was like people tried to get like free tacos from because of Twitter followers. Maybe I remember we had like a really cool drink while we were there too. That that place just did just got outed for being shitty in some way. I think like squashing a union 
or like like treating their employees badly. Okay, obviously that's it. horrible, but I remember having a taco there that I was like, this was very yeah. Good. It's unfortunate because their food is really good, but yeah. apparently they're shit. But that, that that one would also be good, but I would not condone supporting them. I remember it being very good. So uh, yeah, those are those are my answer for. I've got a couple more. There's also, uh, you've probably been there, Nada in Indianapolis. I always try to take people there. I, I, I think I've been there, yeah, yeah. They they took the Mushu pork taco off the menu. That was the best one I, I had had, it was obviously before I was vegetarian. But they do a roasted cauliflower one that's really, really good. The Dude, roasted cauliflower is, really is like really underrated, by the way. Um, but the best tacos I've ever had are actually from a place I can't remember the name of. I was at GP San Diego in 2015. Uh, at the end of this, the longest magic trip I ever took. I flew from Connecticut to Roanoke, tested with people here for a couple days, flew from Roanoke to Chicago, played an open in Chicago, flew from there to Dallas, tested for a week for the uh, for the Pro Tour, played the GP in Dallas, flew to Vancouver, played the Pro Tour in Vancouver, then uh, flew to San Francisco, stayed with the friend who had the Berlin, who has the Berlin story actually, uh, it, while he was still at Stanford, stayed with him for like two or three days, then met up with Michael Majors and a friend of his, drove down to San Diego from the Bay, played GP San Diego, and then flew home from San Diego. So I played tournaments on four consecutive weekends in four different cities and was in two other cities. It was a six-city trip, four tournaments over four weeks, four and a half weeks. Uh, but at the very end of it in San Diego, we were staying at a cheap ass like uh, travel lodge, I think that was right next to the barrio, and we walked went into the barrio to get Mexican food in San Diego, and you already know San Diego's you know hop skip and a jump from Mexico, so you can get some really fucking good food there and really authentic, and we went to this same Mexican place like three days in a row. It was just so good, and I can't remember the name of it at all, but it was unbelievable. I don't know about you, but I am. St- starving now <laughs> I've, I've actually i think you've noticed that i kind of like haven't been super paying attention the last few minutes you know like not as much as i normally do i'm legit trying to figure out what i want to eat if i want to cook or if i want to go pick something up you know i'm trying to like the, the thing is there's no place around here i'm like these tacos are so good you know like so i did thaw out some chorizo today so i might make some and it's chorizo you could have I have soy chorizo in the fridge and i might make some chorizo breakfast tacos yeah that sounds actually really good i might just do that kind of potatoes you can roast to get in there i was gonna say this i make it with chorizo scrambled eggs uh hash browns green green onion um and bell pepper okay what kind of you got any salsa hot sauce on top of these uh i have either uh i have like a hot sauce or sriracha or whatever that i can do and then i do like this new thing that i want to try on it where I put a tiny bit of ranch with sriracha, and it like makes a. It's almost like a buffalo type. Yeah, yeah, that makes thing. sense. It makes it creamier, which yeah. I like. You know what I mean? Like no, I get that. So, um, and the only thing you're missing though is a little fresh avocado. Uh, I I have an avocado. I make sure to put some. I don't know if I, did I say cilantro or whatever. Yeah, so. you gotta have cilantro. That's that's yeah. Good and then I know it's a green onions, but it's usually some other form of onion as well. You do like green onion plus you know like you say scallion, I guess, and then um. Something like either whatever. white or red. I like white. I like red quite a bit or whatever, but we'll see. I like red raw. Yeah, exactly, because it makes it easier. Like, in fact, I need to go to the grocery store, so I'm gonna go probably pick up the ingredients that I don't have. Plus, <laughs> they didn't have street taco shells last time I was there. Oof. So I'm gonna go get. Because here's the thing, 
I know that, like, it's the same. If I eat, like, three street tacos, the same as eating, like, a normal, you know, or two street tacos is a normal taco. I just like the smaller taco. I don't know why. It tastes better to me. It's a mental thing. Shut up. It's my taco. I mean, you get, I think you get, like, better ratio, right? Of of bread to fillings. You definitely get better ratio because it's, like, not this huge fucking tortilla that's holding, a, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. That, so that's what it's about. Yeah. But definitely, like, I, I got to say this. You, you brought up a good point. I think one of the, the ingredients that people miss a lot in tacos, it's just like a, a secret like goat ingredient for, for tacos is, is potato. Like, yeah, for, for breakfast tacos. Sure. Yeah. Just in general, like, I, th- I think just, like I said, I had mashed potatoes and some other ones that were really good. Um, I don't know. I, I, th- I think potatoes are yeah. very no, underutilized. Not I used to have a, a taco that was mashed potatoes, pot roast, gravy, and crispy fried onions. That sounds awesome. It's like the Thanksgiving taco. Or something, I don't know. You know, like, it sounds like, just put some cranberry sauce on it or something. There you go, done. Cranberry sauce is very underrated. Uh, I didn't like it when I was younger. I li- like, I found a lot of stuff that I didn't like when I was younger. I've tried again in my... Yeah, that's an important thing to do, kids. Your taste change as you get older. Revisit things you used to not like. Yeah. You're just more willing to try it out, and, like, you find better, uh... You find better ways to, like, compliment the food. You know, when you're little, like, you try it out. You're like, oh, that's gross. Give me some more chicken nuggets or whatever, right? And then, like, now I'm like, I want my taco to have seven ingredients in it. You know, or I want my taco to have, like, nine things in it, right? You know, like, that kind of stuff. Plus, I've been way more into discovering new things since, uh... I haven't been doing it lately, but when I changed my diet quite a bit, you know, and I cut way back on meat or cut meat completely, like, you need to kind of branch out a lot. Like, Like, recently... Uh, I mean, I, I, I found out that I just, I love kale and chard. Like I just, as greens, I, cause I'm not a big, I'm not a big, like, I don't like iceberg lettuce. Yeah. Like, same. It's just worthless. Like I hate, I don't like a salad with iceberg lettuce. Give me like some spinach or give me some kale or something like I'm if not we need a, a quick I'm not in for the kale chard. Good. My, my green of choice is arugula. I like arugula a lot. I like, have you ever had arugula on pizza? I have. There is, uh, it's, very good. The good pizza place downtown makes a lamb meatball pizza that they top with arugula. Um, here's the thing. Uh, if you ever, I actually like this as, as a as a treat or whatever, or like a little snack. Uh, I have like a conventional oven in my house, you know, like the, like the little small one up on the counter, so I can do stuff like this quicker than putting it in the actual oven. But um, I like taking kale and putting it in a bowl. Like you know, you get just a giant giant handful of kale. Uh, you put some like olive oil over it, salt, pepper, and you need to freshly mince some garlic, do all that, put it in there, crisp it up, and they come out like chips. Just make your own garlic kale chips? Um, I'll make you like some kale, Ross. I'll make some for you when you're here. I've actually thought about that whenever you come and visit. I was like, I'm going to have to like stock up on this. I've already got a bunch of alcohol set aside, so i got to stock <laughs> up on the, the, the vegetarian it, food it, as well. Throw enough garlic on the problem, and, and it'll be fine. We, we've joked about this. My household is a two-times garlic household. If it calls for garlic, you just add more. Yeah. Whatever it says, add more. I basically just add like half a head of garlic to anything. Yeah. Because, you know, I make about the same portion of whatever I'm making. And it almost always calls for like two cloves. And I'm at like four or five every time. So, yeah, about a 2x. I think it just, yeah, it just depends on some stuff. Also, uh, what I like to do is if, if it calls for salt as well, I do like some garlic salt. And they're just, just like, I'm like, let's just, let, let's be real. I want garlic on everything. Just ratchet it up. Yeah, let's, let's go. All right, let's talk about ratcheting it down. I think that's going to make it about it for today's show. I am starving, and we're at about the two-hour mark, so I think I need to go. Uh, I also have to do a couple things for work. You know, I'm doing this in the middle of the day. Um, yeah, I think this was a, a fun and good first attempt at one of these extra Patreon-only episodes. So for everybody listening to this, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Um, 
Ross and I do this, you know, for fun. We, we really enjoy it, but we also do it for you at home. So I'm really happy that uh, y'all are interested in this. You want to get more into this. Um, we can kind of like, you know, like I said, talk about our own things in these episodes. But if someone ever comes up with something that we, we can really go down the rabbit hole, we can do that as well. Um, we, you know, we've talked about doing all kinds of cool stuff like that. Uh, we we've been talking about the doing topics possible... at hand, you know, with as much depth as they, you know, as they need, as we can give. So if you give us a really juicy question that we can tackle a lot, then yeah, I'm happy to spend half an hour talking about it. But questions here were good. We had a nice mix. We talked about magic stuff, non-magic stuff. We blended some magic in. We added some stuff. I remember, um, someone was talking about that. They were like, uh, you know, baseball episode win. And I was like, look, man, if you want to put it in the damn thing, you want me to talk about baseball, I'll do it. And I don't know if everybody wants to hear me, you know, go off for 20 or 30 minutes, but. Dude, I could, I could hang. I used to watch a lot of baseball and be yeah. really into it. I know. I definitely, I definitely think you can, you could at least keep the conversation going enough that yeah. like I, you know, that I could, you could weave in enough. It, you know? it would, it would be like the reverse of our magic conversations, right? It, well, I was thinking more basketball, but hey, Ross, uh, we've played before in a sanctioned match, right? I don't recall. There is video evidence of this, Ross. There may or may not be. I don't know. <laughs> we'll never know. I'm just going to yeah. post the. I'm yeah. posting this in the damn Discord. It's un- unclear. <laughs> unclear. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, but again, everybody at home, everybody listening, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. You might not be at home. I hope you're at home and staying safe and wear a goddamn mask. But if you know if you're on a commute or something and you're listening, however you listen to this, I listen to podcasts while I run and walk around my neighborhood, which I need to go do. By the way, I need to get some sun today. I'm about to go play some basketball, actually. By the way, I'm so jealous. I want to do that. I want to have some friends that I can just go play ball with. There's not even, like, really, you know, necessarily, like, play a competitive game, but it's just a good workout. Dude, we got some three-on-three going, like, a week ago. Mm -hmm. It was fun until Rob took a shot from the ribs. Travis is uh, is a a little aggressive on defense with his elbows. Is he handsy? A little elbowy. A little elbowy. He's elbowy. Who's the best player? Corey by a significant margin. That uh, would have been my guess. He looks the most athletic out of y'all, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Anderson is a very good down low. He's well, he's tall. Uh, yeah, but like he also he's played basketball. Like he has, he he can move in the post. He knows what he's doing. Uh, whereas like Rob uses his height, but just isn't as skilled. Uh, so we t- we tend to try to split them because they're the two tallest. But like that, Anderson and Corey. Like if you play two v two, I don't think anybody any accommodation would come close to beating Anderson and Corey. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, when we come up there, I'm gonna have to make myself get back in shape and uh, show you guys a little thing or two. I I think I'm the I think I'm the third best player for the first half of the first game, and then among the worst players at all points after that. <laughs> I am just not in shape. <laughs> I'm very out of shape, so also I don't know if my knees could take it. That's the thing is I got to get my legs back. When I say get back in shape, I just have to get my legs back under me because of the the like the knee and back problem mostly. But anyway, uh, I was gonna say, did you want to do you want to say anything, Ross, before we get off? I don't think we have to do the same sign off. Yeah, this is Patreon. Everybody knows. Um, but yeah, th- thanks everybody for uh, submitting your questions. We do appreciate it. Um, you know, anytime you do something like this, you're always worried that if you just don't get questions and you like don't really have a show. Oh wow. Hopefully we can edit that out. Jesus. No, no, leave that one in. Leave that one in. But uh, got t- tons of great questions. Hopefully y'all enjoyed uh, the many stories that we told. And uh, looking forward to doing this again. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this uh, sooner rather than later. But again, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you next time.
All right, test, test, test. Test, test, test. Saying words into a microphone. <laughs> I wish you could have seen uh, the pre-show antics that we would do when I did that live television show four days a week. Yeah. Oh, boy. Me and Nathan Zamora. He would go through the full octave range. So, so. <laughs> um, have you ever seen the movie Street Fighter? Uh, I don't think I have seen the Street Fighter movie. Hold on. Let me um, turn on the recording for TriCast. Maybe they can use this as like a bloopers thing. So I'm going to start recording. Yeah, we'll start the actual show in a second. But yeah, so like before the live show that we would do, you know, it was like pretty much a television show. You know, it was a three or four hour show. Um, we would do like vocal exercises to like get ourselves ready to go because we weren't like normal talking and we weren't all the way to like WWE wrestling announcers, but we were like somewhere in between. You know, we wanted to be like hype. Uh, the first episode was definitely a little more far down the line because they wanted us to be like shout casters i'm like i don't really want to do that but sure but we would go through like high and low octave things like to warm up but one of the favorite ones that nathan would do is um there's just, he loves the movie street fighter which which i love the movie too it's just so bad that it's good right and uh in the movie john Van Damme, who plays guile is fighting in bison and uh what's the guy's name he was in adam's family he died right after this movie it was literally his last movie that he made the actor um in the adam's family yeah, he was uh, the the dad in the Adams family. Uh, the movies. Can we? I I know his name. I'm just like Gomez. I'm gonna butcher. Was no, the no, 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 not his name in the not his name in the. Not I'm just checking that I got I got that right. Let me let me pull it up. Yeah, it's it's Gomez. Yeah. Um, give me a second. It's um, Raul Julia. Yeah, I wanted to say Ruli Giuliani for some reason. <laughs> it's Raul Julia. Uh, so one of the cool things is his performance in this movie is amazing for one, because you can tell he just fucking hammed it up. Right, because he's like, dude, it's fucking Street Fighter, right? Also, apparently his kids really love the movie, and that's the reason he took the role. Plus, he knew that he was going to die. Like, he was terminal yeah. or whatever. So he goes, yo, I'm going out with a blast, right? And so you need to see this movie, because, like, in the, in the like, penultimate scene, you know, when Guile and Bison are fighting, like, Bison's character is just so ridiculously over the top. And, you know, Guile's about to fight him, and he, he does some ridiculous thing where um, he has on, like, gloves and boots that are like electromagnetically charged so he can like fly and like shoot lightning and shit right you know it's just like it's absurd right and Kyle's like oh my god like this goes on and he goes what you came here expecting to fight a madman and instead you found a god and he like comes flying at him and stuff and it's just you just have to see it it's so ridiculous so um Nathan would just do that scene <laughs> right he would just start talking and it just gets louder and the octaves go up and he, you know you're it makes you, the, the way you do it, it makes you talk with, like, your full diaphragm. You know what I mean? It makes your lungs get really, because, uh, like, that's the problem that people have when they do this stuff. They're not talking, like, with their lungs, like, you know, with your chest. And, like, you need the air to go in and out, you know, when you're doing it. And, like, that's how you project and stuff. So, anyway, um, you ready to start the show and get these questions going? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> 